0: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast preview show, which is not really previewing anything because there are no games. But hey, you know, I thought we'd do a show tonight. Why not? In fact, we will be previewing quite a lot actually because uh, we're going to be having a look at uh, the fact that Todd Bowley's pretty much got his foot under the desk now and uh, what he may well have to do. Uh, in his, I mean, they love to say this in politics, don't they? His first hundred days. It's that kind of a thing. Anyway, I'm Stanford Chidge, obviously. And as ever, I've got the absolutely gorgeous Jonathan Kidd with
1: me. Oh, I'm looking good, I admit. Thanks very much. It's nice of you to have noticed that. I'm going to be missing, Chidge, the um, the little figures and the, the preview of the teams for the for the weekend. You know that because it's my my most enjoyable moment in the preview shows. Is uh, is us guessing what the team's going to be and seeing those little figures that you set up? I really like that.
0: Yeah, I I, I like that too. I I do, and I, I I will also miss it, J.K. Um, but we'll just have to wait. Well, I mean, I'm tempted to say until August, but of course, I'm also tempted to say until the U.S. tour, which is kind of meaningless from that point of view. But we'll see. Who have we got on the show tonight, J.K.? Oh
1: God, I don't know. Uh, um, oh, um, uh, 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 it's um percussive wit, um charm uh, uh cricket loving um off the booze it's um it's uh the excellent martin
3: wickham evening all i didn't expect to be here tonight but here we are so mm. it's never a quiet moment
0: win or lose we're off the booze martin that's got a well, different ring about it hasn't it
3: yeah uh i'm hoping for that to change shortly but not going to complain too much now
0: no you're looking very well on it i have to say and uh um, we always have a, a, a an estimable journalist on on the show, don't we, J.K. And tonight, of course, is no exception. No
1: exception. No exception. He's the kind that you just plug in, and he speaks, and you you listen. So uh, it is, of course, the uh, the uh, the marvelous
4: Ad Oh no, it's not Adam this week. is, it? No, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That was actually an exceptional troll job. <laughs> it was. was <laughs> it was. The delivery was fantastic. <gasps>
1: I might do it for a living. Um, uh, (laughs) No, no, equally excellent. More so. I mean, fantastic. Lovely. The last time he was on, we all just sat back and marvelled. Of course, it is, of course, Liam Toomey.
4: Brilliant. Adam's excellent. And, I am plugged in, but I think I might need recharging at this stage of the season.
0: Uh, Liam, I mean, all I'm going to say to that is you should hear what he says Stroke does to Adam when he's on the show. It's nothing short of outrageous and scandalous. But uh, you're both excellent, and I'm very proud. I accused to call- him the other
1: day. I accused Adam of deliberately trying to get on the show by, by standing outside Chidge's house and shouting. I said, cause I said he's yeah. on practically every week. I said, he must be doing something very peculiar to get on the show all the time.
0: Yeah, anyway, before I was so rudely interrupted, I was about to say, I'm I'm both proud to call you both friends. So uh, it's great to have you back as always. Um, Just to give people an idea of what we're going to cover tonight, we're going to do a four-parter. And the first part in a minute will be just kind of, as it's now officially over, really, isn't it? Uh, Just some reflections on the Roman Empire and what it meant to us. And then we'll put, put, uh, you know, parts two and 3 we'll concentrate on... uh, Todd Bowley's to-do list, uh, first of all, on the pitch and then off the pitch. And then uh, part four will conclude. We've got a couple of excellent emails. It would be very remiss of us not to read out. And uh, we'll wrap up with uh, our hopes and fears of the Todd Bowley era. So there we go. So without further ado, um, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of over really, JK, isn't it? Um, I I mean, you know, I suspect this might change over the months and years. You know how things work out. But right now, what would you you say – uh, Roman's legacy will be?
2: Um,
1: he's left us with a fantastic manager. He's uh, he's uh, left us with a brilliant uh, uh, mindset within the club of winning trophies. Um, uh, he, he's left us with um, uh, 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 um, an attitude towards purchasing that will no longer be um, the one embraced by the new owners, which would uh, be lovely to know how many of the people that, that eventually ended up in the club were just on a whim. Um, obviously, Shevchenko, but you wonder whether Lukaku was one of those or which other ones where he'd actually interfered and and, and interfered is the wrong word. He's allowed to do whatever he wanted with Pradovich because, of course, he was the big cheese. Um, but no, it, it, a complete transformation of the club from, well, not complete because we were um, we were doing special things. There were some decent sides uh, that Bates got together with his borrowing his fifty million from that bond. But um, uh, it, 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 you know, winning the the Premier League in the second season was one of the great great achievements, um, uh, and getting Mourinho in. So it was suddenly we had a we had a, a, um, a, 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 a we we were linked to so many more impressive members of the football fraternity that we hadn't been involved with before and I'm afraid it was because of money and that's absolutely fair enough Um, uh, but it was a a wonderful experience being a a Chelsea fan for those 19 years Um, and we still found a lot to whinge about we still found a lot to 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 uh, complain about but it was nonetheless it was complaining about at a higher level, at an elite level, he created an elite club, and we are now one of the best, um, uh, most successful um, clubs in the world. So that's an achievement that Abramovich has created with his his tenure. Um, and I'm wondering, ultimately, when the uh, the um, the war is over in Ukraine and uh, his role in it, it perhaps comes to the fore as to whether there'll be some kind of um, Lasting monument for him because he's pulled the club into um, a, 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 a state that we would we would very unlikely to have been in, um, uh, knowing the, the the amount of money initially that would have been invested in the club post Bates, um, it would have been a very very different history. But uh, yeah, one can only just appreciate the the uh, the dosh really that that, that flowed in but made us into a, a world power. And it's been superb to embrace that
0: ourselves. So. Yeah, good words. Um, Martin, what about your your perspective on it?
3: Well, when he came in, um, we were properly snookered by that Bond getting called in. I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration, say so we could have gone the same way as Leeds if it hadn't. Um, we assume he leaves he, if the era finishes tonight or in the next 24 hours, he leaves us as reigning European champions until tomorrow night and world champions. champions. Yes. And world champions. So he hasn't done too badly for a bloke who we were told over and over again was only in it short term was going to buy a formula one team and sell off Chelsea. So, you know, the, the end is sad, but unfortunately he didn't distance himself as much as he perhaps should have. And he's, ultimately paid the price for us. I think some of the government actions were questionable, will always remain questionable, but unfortunately this is what's had to happen. But um, I don't think we'll ever fully know the machinations that went on. I think there'll be some de-notices going on there for a good while, I'll be in the archives for the next hundred years, along with, you know, all those dodgy parties around the Profumo era that you hear about occasionally, some very suspect dealings. When you hear that fucking Custard Tits was trying to encourage the Newcastle-Saudi deal to go through, um, I think that song that went number five in the Christmas charts had it right, Boris Johnson is a fucking garrison. <laughs> I know, Gareth. <laughs> Gareth, <exactly. laughs>
0: I, 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 That's the weird thing about that, I downloaded that on Spotify and you get about 500 versions of yeah, it. Bizarre. Yeah, you do.
3: you you meant to play it on a loop for right. about an hour to okay. make sure it charts. So you get this version of sounds like glam rock and then another that's yeah. orchestral
0: very weird my sister yeah. my sister turned me on to that she, brilliant as she is i mean liam I, I suspect you'll probably have a slightly more objective uh view um given that you're you're you know you, you know you have a journalist so you don't have the luxury of being blindly myopic like we do but i mean you know you followed the club uh, you know all the time that Roman's been in charge, you know, so you're going to have a view. I'd love to hear what it is.
4: Well, and it's, there's also a part of this where, you know, there weren't really that many Chelsea correspondent jobs knocking around (laughs) um, before Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea. So there is kind of the the ripple effects are everywhere. Um, Simon Johnson and I put together a piece looking back at the the Abramovich era, which ran about a week ago on the athletic. And we were talking about how best to do it. And we decided to try and arrange it along broad themes. And it wasn't until we started looking at everything since 2003 that ended up with a list of 15 sections, (laughs) um, which we then eventually whittled down to 12, but it's still one of the longest things we've written on the site in absolutely ages. Uh, I, I pity anyone that tries to get through it all. But it just it was just a reminder that of so much that's happened over those 19 years and what a ridiculous mm. ridiculous roller coaster it was. Um for me, it's a very sort of complicated legacy, I think, even from a Chelsea perspective. Because he's obviously the most influential person in Chelsea's history, given everything that he Given everything that his money made possible, um, but at the same time, and you know, I said this on our straight out of Cobham, soon after he was he was sanctioned. You know, the the questions about where he got his money, the relationship with the Russian state—they were always there. They're not new questions. They were they were there in 2003 when he bought the club. It's just no one in positions of power particularly cared about them. Tony Banks uh, accepted. Right, okay. I don't even remember that. No, no. Tony, was, Tony you know, a Banks,
0: kid. who, well, big Chelsea fan and a, and a Labour MP. I think he was sports minister for a while, or certainly might well have been, but he was the only one asking questions at the time.
4: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed like, you know, the British political establishment and certainly the Premier League, which has always had an attitude of, there is no such thing as bad money, um, had, you know, they basically allowed Abramovich to become part of... The furniture of english football for 19 years um but because those questions were there and abramovich never really you know he never speaks publicly so he never tried to answer them he just took legal action against people that uh went went a bit further than he liked um and used the uk libel courts to to enforce that to the extent that people weren't really keen on saying anything um but unfortunately, because of those questions that never went away, Chelsea were always geopolitical, collateral. They were always uniquely vulnerable to something left field, like Russia invading Ukraine happening. Um, and this is the kind of thing that you know Manchester City and Newcastle are now vulnerable to, because while you've got Boris Johnson encouraging um, the Premier League to sanction a Saudi takeover now, the Saudis might not always be friends of the UK government. And if that changes, Newcastle could find themselves in a very complicated position. The same with, with Abu Dhabi and Manchester City. It is just part of the deal with, with um, being owned by people uh, who are geopolitical figures, as Abramovich was. And I, I, I honestly wonder how he kind of feels about it, because as much as he never seemed to want the limelight I uh, certainly didn't want to be a public figure. Um, it, I mean, it, it maybe benefited him for a long time in in a way, in that it made him the most famous of all the Russian oligarchs. Uh, and in the end, that probably hurt him because as soon as this all changed, he was the first name that sprang to many lips when it when people started talking about taking action against Russian money in London because he is the most famous russian oligarch and he owns the most visible british asset so um yeah i think it's it's a very complicated legacy because he's obviously bankrolled chelsea's golden era and and that that will never be forgotten it can never be undone and a lot of fans will always have an incredible amount of gratitude to him for that but he also probably should never have been allowed to own a premier league club he's not alone in that You know, Saudi Arabia shouldn't be allowed to own Newcastle. Abu Dhabi shouldn't be allowed to own Manchester City. That's just where we've got ourselves over the last 20, 25 years. Um, But that's kind of still where I sit with it. And I feel like people are probably going to be thinking about it for a long time.
0: I I suspect that the ramifications of it are going to linger for a very long time. I mean, from my own point of view, I think you know, in terms of his legacy, I'd say it's twofold. I mean, on the one... I mean, you know, bearing in mind where we were when he took over and J.K.'s right, we'd had a... I mean, arguably the previous 10 years had been the most successful in the club's history, which is, you know, perhaps not not hard to say given what had gone before. You know, I mean, a big club, but massively underachieving. But uh, the 90s, uh, up to 2000, you know, we'd seen more success than we'd ever had before. But, you know the 19 trophies i think says it all but more than that i think roman what he did is that he took us from being a a big a big club with you know a mediocre trophy winning record to one of the the the, the world and europe certainly europe's elite clubs we were we were launched into that into that group and uh, i mean you know jk and i would certainly say we never expected us to win much more than an fa cup before that to, to win the league and the Champions League was quite phenom- phenomenal the other thing I would say is that in a sense has been proven by what's happened in the last couple of months um, you know from a club that in my lifetime probably could have gone under three times so in the 70s under the Mears stroke early 80s um, under Bates when Roman took it over uh, certainly I mean you know he's basically made us into a club that's ring-fenced that, you know. I mean, I know a lot of people were worried about it, but the only reason we would have gone out of business is because the government would have willed it. But the reality is what he's done is he's created such a a big global brand and club that we are attractive to buy, and that's exactly what's been proven. So, in a sense, Roman, whether he did it intentionally or not, we'll probably never know, but he he's kind of ring-fenced Chelsea's security for the future. And I think in many, 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 many years' time... When people who are probably more beautiful and intelligent than me are doing podcasts, that's possibly what they'll be saying. So, I think his legacy is huge. Liam, you looked as though you wanted to come in. Then,
4: no, I just—I was just going to add, like, yeah, you can tell from the sale process and the amount of interest that Chelsea commanded, the sale price that this eventually reached, despite it not being an auction. Um, it shows that the the transformation. That Abramovich's money funded can't be undone. No. Um, uh, what you know, regardless of whether supporters of rival clubs would like to see that happen, it it won't be undone because Chelsea are a, a globally recognised brand. I know that fans hate that word, but that is the word that you know billionaire investors use. Um, they are they are a globally recognised product um, and. You know, that there are a lot of people, particularly in the US side of things, who see even more potential for growth. But it's all because of the platform that Abramovich's money built.
0: Yeah, totally right. Right. Let's have a little bit of fun, shall we, in the last kind of few minutes of this part. Uh, I've got I've got a few, you know, favourite moment, worst moment, best signing, best player. JK, you first. Favourite moment, worst moment, best signing, best player of the Roman era.
1: Uh, favorite moment winning the Ch- the Champions League last year.
0: Oh right, last year, <laughs> not not in two thousand and twelve. No, no, no.
1: For me, it was. Um, uh, this was a a, a great a, a team that had had come from from nowhere to do it, and um, I felt the journey was um, more deserved. Um, well, the the enthusiasm and excitement I had was was bigger as a consequence of the. Uh, the journey that they made. Um, what was the the other? What were the other ones you wanted?
0: Worst moment, um,
1: 1967. No, of come. the
0: Roman era. Oh, sorry, sorry.
1: Do apologise. Oh. Sorry, I was just suddenly I was in pain. There, worst moment of the Roman era. Oh, uh, Moscow without any shadow of a doubt.
0: Mm. Were, you, were you there? Were you there in Moscow? Of course, I was You know, I couldn't remember? I couldn't remember.
1: God. Um. Anything else? What else? Yeah, yeah. Best signing. Um. Best signing. Hazard.
0: Mm, okay, like that. And best player? Uh, hazard. Okay, yeah. God, good judge. Good, okay, you're on fire. You're awake tonight. Uh, brilliant. Martin, <laughs> Martin, same for you, mate.
3: Okay, favourite moment, Munich. That's easy. Mm. Uh, worst moment, Moscow. Again, relatively straightforward, although missing out on the double in 2017 was a bit of a pisser. Uh, best signing, Didier Drogba, because I think he um, yeah. brought an extra winning attitude to that team, which they kept for years Years after Jose had gone. Best player,
0: Hazard. Mm, like that. Liam, your turn.
4: I, I, I would have said best moment, Munich, but I'm slightly swayed by the fact that I was there in Porto, mm. um, which made it more... Uh, it's an amazing game to cover, particularly because that was the first game that i'd been to in about five months that had fans yeah as well it was not only was it a champions league final it was a full rocking stadium and then the way the game played out was just incredible um worst moment um i mean there have been a lot of bad ones haven't there
0: <laughs> well, as always it's chelsea i mean there have been a
4: lot of lows as well as a lot of highs uh you know what? i'm gonna go for the um the whole Eva Carnero mess. Mm. Cause I, th- I just think that dragged on for so long and I actually covered the tribunal and the things that were published in the skeleton arguments. Well, particularly on the Chelsea side were just incredible. You know, the, the lengths they were willing to go and, and then only to settle the claim of, <laughs> about a day later, just highlighted the pointlessness of it all to me and really damaged Chelsea's reputation. Um, uh, best Best signing, I think I'm going to agree with Martin on Drogba. You know, it, I, it probably is between Drogba and Hazard. Hazard kind of defined the second decade, didn't he, of yeah. the Abramovich era? And he gets a whole section in that piece that Simon and I did. Um, but Drogba, just because he he won so many finals, didn't he? Yeah. he? He won so many finals. It's the the ultimate big game player. Um, did you say worst signing? No, no. best player. Well, we have, we've, only, <laughs> we've, only, we've only got an hour and a half, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Best low knee? No. Uh... Like I said, as I refer to timing. <laughs> um, the best player, I'd say Frank Lampard.
0: Well, yeah, but he was technically bought, he was bought by Bates.
4: Oh, yeah, sorry, I thought you meant, mm. I didn't think I know there were what you players mean. signed you... in the Abramovich era when you talk about best player. could You could, you could say
0: that, you could say that, but I'm going to be strict. Because okay. you know, yeah.
4: All right. Well, of the Abramovich era, probably has Hazard.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Good. Good answers. Uh, for me, uh, favorite moment has to be Munich. Um, although it's close, it's 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 only just Pips uh, winning in Bolton. But as I as I wasn't there to see the match live at Bolton, and I was in Munich, and I wasn't in Porto, so Porto doesn't count because I wasn't there. Uh, so it has to be it has to be Munich for me, and I cried, and I mean that's always a good sign, isn't it, that it meant something. Worst moment. Liam's right. There are far too many, really. T- t- I mean, we could be here all week. Um, I know that sounds strange in a, in a 19 year period when actually it was predominantly fantastic. But I, I'm going to plump for hiring Rafa Benitez uh, because I think that really stank the place out. Uh, I mean, but you could say firing Ancelotti in the corridor, at, at Everton. You could say how, how they tried to, uh, you know, steal the CPO, which was a very dark moment in the club's history, let alone the Roman era. But on the other hand, you could say that actually what the CPO manoeuvring did was to prove that we still had an element of influence and power. But uh, So I'm going to stay with Rafa Benitez, um, I think. And uh, the best signing for me, I totally agree with you, Liam and Martin, that, that Didier Drogba was the best signing for all the reasons that you said. Uh, because, uh, you know, he was such a winner and he had such an impact on us winning trophies. Although you could say, you could say, and I think that'd be a very good argument to make here, that Jose Mourinho was arguably uh, the greatest signing that that Roman made. Because, of course, not only did he have that fantastic two-year, three-year period when he joined, but his legacy lived on, I think, all the way until 2012 when we won the Champions League. That was Mourinho's team that won that. So that would be close, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Drogba. And the best player, um, I, I think Hazard. You know, he, he's up there as one of the most talented players I've ever seen play for Chelsea. And we there's no way we would have got him if we hadn't have won the Champions League, but also if Roman hadn't have just flashed the cash, which is what he was wonderful at doing. So there you go. But
1: personally, Hazard was better than Drogba for me because he, he came in and played brilliantly from the beginning. It's the fact that it took Drogba some time
0: for yeah. me. That's
3: true. But- yeah, that's, why I, that's why I differentiate between signing and players. Signing because he eventually brought the winning mentality. Hazard was a joy to watch when he wasn't filling his face with burgers and taking a season off.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. But uh, I'm, I think it's absolutely appropriate that in all of our answers, we've gone for those two. And I think that, that that says it all. So there you go. Right, we're going to have a quick break and then we're going to come back in part two. and We're going to start looking at what Todd Bowley has to do. There's a lot to do, Todd. Do take note. Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, normally the Friday night preview show, it's still kind of a preview show, even if there are no games to preview. And anyway, I'm Stanford Chidge and I'm joined as ever, ever as ever, even if I can speak at all uh, by the wonderful Jonathan Kidd.
1: Hello, Chidge. Lovely to be on the show.
0: Yes. Yeah, nice to see you. And uh, we have the lovely Martin Wickham with us. Good evening. And the absolutely brilliant Liam Toomey from the athletic.
4: Hello.
0: There we go. So, right. Um, as as, it, as luck would happen, call, call it serendipity, call it what you like. I wasn't going to do a show tonight because I thought, oh, come on, let's just have a break, you know. Um, and then, then I, I wrote an article this week, uh, which was called Todd Bowley's To-Do List. And uh, the, weirdly, simultaneously, and funnily enough, Liam and I were talking actually before we went on air. We'd both kind of started working on this weeks before it saw the light of day. But uh, uh, Liam did one on Todd Bowley's in And I, I'm delighted to say that the that you know there's a lot of crossover but also differences which is really what it's all about. And I thought, oh actually, do you know what? He's actually kind of pretty much, you know, through the door now. So it would be good to do a show picking up on what both Liam and I said. Um and anyway, I've split this up in the in the first part of this into, you know, what Bowley has to do on the pitch. And uh in part three in a minute we're gonna talk about what he has to do off the pitch. But uh I think Liam and I were both completely in agreement uh, that the first thing that Boley has to do, uh, let's say he he he, if he's in you know behind the desk on Monday morning, is to sign Thomas Tuchel up for a long term contract. Um, I'll, I'll ask Liam in a minute, but my own view on this is that, you know, I think he's up there as a manager with Klopp and Guardiola. He's certainly top five, which is what Liam said. Um, and I think that I hope and I hope that we're going to move away from this culture of sacking a manager after eighteen months if they don't finish in the top four or whatever. Um, because I think we need a long term plan. And of course that's exactly what's been afforded to both Klopp and Guardiola. And if 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 Boley and his group are anything what they claim to be, then it will take some some really good management and planning. And I think Tuchel has to be front and centre of that. So that's the first thing on the tick list. Liam, to be fair to him, i completely glossed over this as I do in my usual slap hash style. Uh, also said Emma Hayes and Neil Bath too and I agree with that, Liam.
4: Yeah, just because, um, I mean, it's it's the whole club, isn't it? And I think that's the way, that's the impression I'm given is that the owners are looking at it very much as the whole club and the academy and the women's team are going to play a huge part in that. Um. So they have an incredible luxury, Bowley and Clearlake and the other investors in that most new ownership groups inherit uh, the need for change. And yes, there is the need for change on the pitch, which we'll come on to. But in terms of leadership of the major football departments, you've got best in class in, in, in all three major areas, men's team, women's team, and the Academy, it's very hard to see how Chelsea could upgrade um, realistically, particularly in such a short time frame. So um, aside from being a very easy PR win to come in and give Thomas Tuchel a, a, a new contract and Emma Hayes a new contract, probably Neil Neil Bath uh, a nice little raise as well. Um, it's just a statement of faith in in what's already been built, a statement of faith in, in very talented people, and it's probably the smart move. Now, the the one thing you could say about Tuchel, the, the flip side of it, is Chelsea's attack hasn't been great under him. I think he still has to prove that he can maximise that end of the pitch and find a system that really has the perfect balance of this team. And there there are very talented forwards who have not, Played to their potential under Tuchel and probably will play well elsewhere, as we've already seen with Tammy Abraham. And he hasn't necessarily, you know, built anything lasting at his previous clubs, partly because he hasn't been there long enough in some of the clubs he's worked for. But if you have a coach who operates on that tactical level, who's already shown that he can match Guardiola and Klopp head to head in in the highest highest stakes games, and turn Chelsea into one of the very best teams in the world, at least at one end of the pitch. Um, I think that's a lot to work with. And I think he, he's more than earned the chance to show that he can do the rest.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Martin, Jonathan, what, what say you boys? Martin first. Well, talking about signing people, I mean, the first real
3: signal we've had that the licence has been amended was, um, was it named Mark Robinson, the former afc wimbledon boss was appointed the in charge of the under 23s so on the basis that um they couldn't actually sign appoint anyone while the sanctions were in place that was a very a very soft opening for the Bolier era was the it's gonna be a great a
0: great quiz co- question isn't it go further you know future years who was chelsea's first signing under the Bolier era
3: and I will I will be rowing with people when they say fucking Jules Kunde or someone like that. I'm like no, it's Mark Robinson, you bastards. And I'll end up having a row with someone. So probably not worth it. But um, yeah, I think as a statement of intent, Tuchel, cool, Emma Hayes, all of the above. Just get them on deals and um, go through a holistic approach on and off the pitch because we've talked about what we liked about the Roman era in the last part the more slapdash elements of it we're less enamoured with be nice to see that go and be replaced with something a bit more analytical because you know we've we've seen what it what can happen liverpool unfortunately but you know we've got people coming in from the same background who may do the same thing and i know one of the letters alludes to that so i don't want to go into it too much um but yeah i just want to see an announcement come through and just get the club back to being a football club. That's what I want. And then I can just, you know, sleep over the summer and come back in August.
0: Good on you, Martin. Mr. Kidd. Yes. And what say you? Um, uh, Well, at least this is, um, it's uh, this,
1: this, there hasn't been a statement saying that they bought it yet, but apparently people have been, Pursuing company's house. I found that slightly weird, wasn't it? People taking screenshots of company's house and it's changed from Chelsea PLC to Chelsea Holdings as if, you know.
4: Oh, I was one of those weirdos. Oh. <laughs> you're,
0: you're allowed to be. That's your
4: job, mate.
1: Yeah, you're allowed to do that. For the rest of us, it's slightly. But, but also the, um, the, the ridiculousness of Arsenal fans hoping that Chelsea would go under so that they could then get the the uh, the champions league they place. have no They're shame s- they have no so shame do they desperate oh goodness me um but yeah no it it will i presume it's going to be announced on monday i presume they won't announce it at the weekend but um all the boxes are ticked and it's it's going to happen um um, um yeah i think i think as you said you have to Tuchel has to be given a a, a long term contract immediately um and they'll obviously be There'll obviously be other uh, appointments that, that we can debate, some of which we probably won't understand. I suspect there'll be a um, more of an American presence. i um, would uh, be intrigued to see what um, whether they create new roles for certain people within the club, um, according to what happens uh, in America again. I don't know what, whether there are extra roles that they can think up there, whether there's somebody to oversee the transition I or bet something.
0: there'll be a few VPs there, mate. Yeah. yeah. Offensive I, I
1: lo-
3: quality control.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> they lo- they love a few VPs, the Yanks, don't they? Veeps. But, um,
1: but also um, um, there was a debate wasn't there suddenly that what amount of money um, both Bruce Buck and, and Graveskaya were getting as golden handshakes and it went up in the and, and it started off with 10 million. It's, today, it's 50 million that they're getting. And people are saying, what are they? Why do they deserve oh, this? Right? Inflation, deserve? mate. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> in, in two weeks. But it's but it's also what happens when takeovers happen. Everybody gets a slice of the pie for having for having achieved it. I it's, mean, it's, it's, it's quite the norm.
0: Other than what and, we uh, we heard the other day, JK. I mean, do you, do you know much about that, uh, Liam? Because I, I don't really know the foundation of that at all. But have you got any idea?
4: I don't have. I, unfortunately, I don't have any information on bonuses for Chelsea executives or how big they might be. We haven't. But it, it haven't would got make any. Soli- it, it would we make haven't got sense. anything solid on that part of the deal. No, it, but
1: right. there will bound to be, be aspects of it. I know Barbara, Barbara Sharon's been involved. Who you know, used to be big uh, um, record company um, publicist, and she's been smoothing some water. Some some. some Oiling, putting oil upon on choppy waters for some period with this. So she'll obviously she'll then have a seat in the directors box, which she didn't have before, because she sits near my mate, um, near my uh, sits near um, Mason Mount's dad. Yeah, um, uh, Liam. This you mean the story was new, the, not, your new, your new best friend, new best so mate? <laughs> Liam, Mason <Mount's> dad, <laughs> <laughs> Liam Mason Mount's dad came up to me and said, uh, "Excuse me, you're Jonathan Kidd, aren't you?" And I went, "Oh, uh, uh, yeah." Abby said, "I really like your fan bites." So I said, "Oh, thank you very much indeed." <laughs> Tell it like it is. And I told my daughter, and my daughter went, "Oh, did you mention me? Did you mention my love for Mason?" I said, "Look, you're thirteen, darling. It's not really love. It wasn't the first thing that came into my mind." Anyway, I digress. But she's. Um, uh, everybody involved will it will be who will be given, uh, and you know the, uh, a payout. That's what. That's what you do in this situation, anybody, because they've succeeded, and um, and that will be I don't know the the degree of speculation as to what the money will be. You can be sure that there will be small percentages handed out. It'd be interesting to see what their their board then looks like afterwards. Whether well, uh, whether Marina is involved, or whether Bruce Buck is involved. Well, still. that's
0: a, that's yeah. a good question, and 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 next on yeah. my um on my list. I mean, I, I've written about uh you know dear old Bruce, who who on a personal level I, I I've always got on well with and and, and like. Um, But I, you know, I'm disappointed that he's going to remain as the chairman from what we're told. Although, again, like JK was saying, I understand why it's very normal when there's a big change in in management and ownership that uh, you want a bit of continuity and have a transitional period. So it makes sense. Um, But the real issue, I think, for most supporters, uh, Liam, is um, is whether or not we'll be able to keep hold of Marina Granovskaya and, of course, Petr Cech. Because they have a much more influential uh, say on all things football. And uh, we know that Tuchel likes working with them. So, you know, how likely is that, do you think?
4: The impression I've been given is that Marina will stay. I don't know whether that's permanently or on a kind of interim basis. But, you know, I don't think she's going to leave as soon as the takeover is completed. And I, I do think that's important because while... She does have a bit of a polarising reputation among supporters uh, in terms of... Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of a misconception about her transfer, her role in the transfer role, process. Yeah. People, some people seem to think she picks the players that Chelsea signed. She doesn't. She's, she handles the business side of transfers, basically negotiating deals, negotiating contracts. And there's a fair bit to criticise there as well as a fair bit to praise over the years. Her, her record's been mixed. But why I think it's important regardless of what you, how, what sort of esteem you hold Granovskaya in professionally, um, is that the summer transfer window is upon us and Chelsea are already playing catch-up on other teams. I mean, Manchester City have announced Haaland. Um, other clubs are well down the road in terms of talking to agents, talking to other clubs, gauging the market, pursuing their chosen targets, and Chelsea haven't been able to do any of that, partly because other clubs don't know who to talk to. Um or until very recently, so I think you know it's important that Granovskaya sticks around, um, and that other clubs know that there's a certain sense of clarity for this window. And and of course the you know the transfer strategy might change because there's a different tone being set from the top now by different owners. But if you have someone who has that network of contacts within European football who can get deals done makes a huge difference when you've got new owners coming in who don't know European football firsthand. You know, if they were if they were just flying by the seat of their pants or trying to hire on the fly in the early weeks of a window, I think that's the recipe for a disaster.
0: Yeah, definitely agree with that. Are Sevilla likely to
3: play hardball now that the other centre-half has gone to Aston Villa?
4: I'm not sure. Um, I mean, they certainly played hardball last summer, but... Yeah, I don't have a clear handle on what their position is on Kunde right now, but what I do know is that he was desperate to leave last summer and usually in those cases you can keep you can keep the player as the club but it only usually buys you a year and then you have to let them go the next summer because otherwise it just the the situation becomes too toxic. He he wanted to leave Sevilla last summer, he wanted to come to Chelsea, so if Chelsea make a good offer I think it might be quite difficult for Severe to turn down.
1: So the other to... boy wanted to leave anyway, in in January, that was the impression I got
0: that they were happy to get rid of both centre halves. Yeah, well,
4: but... they they refresh their team on a regular basis, and they're very very good at doing it. Yeah,
0: well, they're a selling club, really. on they Martin, um, I'd, like, I'd be interested to hear what you think about keeping Granovsky and Czech on board. Uh, the other news <laughs> that's broken today, courtesy of uh, Nizar Kinsella, is that uh, Guy Lawrence is is off. Hooray! <laughs> actually hang on
3: hang on hang on let's have a bit of respect here i would like a, a moments of reflection and silence so we can think about the good things that guy lawrence has done for chelsea now on to anything else <laughs> um uh so granite sky i think if she's solely doing negotiations that's fine but that begs the question: Who the fuck was scouting the talent? Because there's been some fair few blunders, and she, if as if what Liam's saying is accurate, she's been carrying the can from a load of incels on Twitter who don't like the concept of a woman. Don't, don't in like life, women. They period, but, man. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that might be. That, that's the that's the professionals' view. <laughs> um, so yeah, we do need the continuity. They need to know the number to ring to, you know, to get there agents need to know who to ring to get their clients moved and Petr Cech's important as well just on a, a continuity thing you know he was signed we talked about the start of the Roman Abramovich era. Cech was one season in he joined one of the first signers albeit under Ranieri so yeah to have him you know steering having some position in the new the new bowl era would be great let's hopefully he's, he's not just used to um, absorb a bucket of shit from the fans the next time they make stupid decisions regarding the European Super League.
0: Well, I mean that. I mean, I don't mean to go on a tangent because we're on a limited budget time here, but uh, I hope that that's something that will change under the club, that people who actually you know, are in positions of power and responsibility in the club stand up and put their heads above the parapet rather than sending out check to take all the flack. And actually over the last two months...
3: Or Emanalo prior to that. Or
0: Emanalo prior to that and, and Tuchel cool you know, over the last two months, because I think it's cowardly in the extreme and it shows an absolute abject lack of leadership from those that sit on the board of this club. So sorry to have my little rant there. Um, The less said about Guy Lawrence, the better, just good riddance, really. Um, Liam, you know, all this is leading inexorably to, to, you know, sorting out the player contracts, which I'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, do do you think if if the club or if Tuchel is going to be, you know tasked okay together with all the other people involved in the management because that would be normal but if Tuchel is effectively tasked with creating both a short and a long term plan for what happens on the pitch um do we need a director of football because a lot of people have been going on about this do, do we need one at chelsea we haven't had one for a long well arguably ever really under romans uh, you know uh, stewardship
4: i don't think there's one way to run a good club but even if you don't have someone with a director of football title or a sporting director title, I think the important thing you need is a continuity of vision in the decisions you make from the coach on up, but really above the coach. And when Chelsea were doing well, I think it's because they did have that continuity um, at least above the coach, even if the coach changed quite quickly. Now the I think part of the problem Chelsea have had over the years is not even necessarily that they've bought bad players, but that they've had, and I'm hoping to write about this uh, soon, that they've they've kind of had a long-term recruitment strategy and a short-term coaching strategy, and the two don't really match up. So they might give the coach at the time one or two of their requested signings. The others might be long-term club targets, you know, drawn up by the recruitment team. And they're not necessarily bad players, but they might not fit the coach or they might not fit the next coach. And so you end up with players who have these wildly varying fortunes during their careers at Chelsea, because it feels like every new coach is the opposite of the previous one. Um, I think that's been a big problem because you look at Liverpool, Manchester City, obviously they've got two very long tenured exceptional coaches, which has helped, but every single coach every single player they sign is not necessarily scouted by Guardiola or Klopp because they don't have time to do that but it's they they look for a profile of player that fits those and i think that's what that's that's what's important sh- that Chelsea need to do regardless of whether they have a director of football or not is there needs to be a structure that supplies t- Tuchel with players that fit the way he wants to play football and if Tuchel leaves one day Maybe hire a coach that, that sees football in a similar way rather than going in a completely new direction every two or three years.
1: Of course, the longer Tuchel's there, the, the more likely that there'll be his players that he's, yeah. he's keen on getting it because he'll say he gets two that he wants this season, then he'll have two more the following season, and then there'll be that. There'll be then six for the following season that he's got for the last three seasons. It may be that he gets three players that he likes. I mean, in actual fact, I think it's strangely quite a decent thing this season that he's that he's um, got to rebuild because they're going to get more people in who will be his choices.
4: But again, I don't think like I don't think we should get too bogged down in manager. Like I see a lot of it on social media. Was this a board signing? Was this a coach signing? I think at most top clubs it's not as simple as that. Recruitment is generally a conversation between people, and it, you know, at good clubs, it's a productive conversation. It's not people arguing over wanting to go different ways. They they have a, the same sort of vision for the type of player they're looking for, be the profile.
1: Indian, weren't they?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't necessarily have to be players that two cool names, but they they have to be the sort of profile of player that he wants for a certain position that fit his system really well. I doubt, say, like Jurgen Klopp. I doubt. Jogan Klopp knew much about Costa Simakas, you know, their backup left-back. I doubt he was watching the Greek league, but he's a player that he's a player that fits perfectly in Klopp's system, so he can just slot in and play. That's the type of player that I think Chelsea haven't been signing too many of in recent you do years. Do you think there
1: is the odd player, though, that he that he watches in the Premier League and thinks he must, surely, that he's... He every, would, coach, he would, every coach. Every coach does that,
4: you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, every coach has that. But I think also... I think sometimes Chelsea can be a little bit too manager-led as well. Uh, you know, in, in previous years where you have like, I mean, they said no to Conte a lot, but then you have Sarri saying basically, "I need Jorginho to play my style of football." But then Jorginho wasn't necessarily the best fit for the coaches that came after Sarri, um, or it or it sort of conditioned the way that other coaches had to accommodate their own yeah. styles. so I I just think it needs to be a coherent thing
0: yeah hence the pickle that poor old Tuchel's found himself in now with the legacy of four different managers four different kind of players so hopefully that will change JK we've been talking about this you know for weeks I think there are obvious you know huge uh, priorities in terms of player contracts given that you know we're two months behind schedule on that Um, I mean I would summarise Tuchel's you know, task over over the coming months. Certainly, I mean, actually, it's an interesting point. You know, going back to what you're saying about Klopp. I mean, that uh, you know, he he took a long time to completely rebuild that Liverpool team. It took about four or five seasons, I think, before he got rid of everybody who played in the first game he had at Liverpool to to where we are now. But um, I would say it's 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 signing signing up those whose contracts are going to run out imminently. And I mean, just glancing at the notes that I've got. The issues there, I would see, would be Kante, whose contract expires next year, and Jorginho. Uh, Mount in 24, Pulisic, Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, hudson Doy, all next, uh, as in 2024. And in 2025, you got Werner, Kepper, Havertz, Ziyech, Chilwell, Mendy, Reese james uh, Lukaku's not not renewable until the 26th, uh, 2026, annoyingly. So, you know, the priority is, I think, to to sign Mount and James up, I would say. But there are other things to do too, aren't there? I mean, we need to replace the players that are leaving. We need to fill the obvious holes that we have in this squad. All, all said in the context of getting players in that Tuchel wants for the system that he wants to play. But we also need to clear the massive amount of deadwood. And of course, amongst all of that, we'll be recalling some of the loanies that we want to actually keep and use, I would say.
1: Yes, it it, it I, I wish I didn't look at Twitter for these things because don't go we're, there. We're, ever we're no, I but I can't help it. It just they flick up, don't they? You just look at them. But the um I mean no, I mean that they, they were it was a statement today um uh in a football dot London article saying that Alonso was definitely on his way. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Alonso's still there next season. I just I think all this this, this speculation is as always is just it it's it's so unlikely to be what we um negatively believe or even positively believe um but yeah you you've you've um I, and I think I think they they will be very keen to despite him being 31 and injury prone to, to sign Kante because um as he said in the press the other day, we want to try to get get him to play more than the 21 games he plays because he loses his rhythm. And he sees him as an integral part of the team and he wants to speak to the medical side. I mean, if the medical side say, actually, he's on his way out, then we may see his contract not renewed. Um, we just don't want to have the situation of seeing his contract not renewed like what happened with Robin. And uh, and uh, they find out that um, in actual fact there is a way of, of dealing with his bad back and his hamstrings going. And he then becomes one of the greatest players in the world that we let go Um so uh, uh, it, it needs to be done really care- carefully, which I'm sure they're doing at the moment. I also think that the fact that that the club was um, um, in still sanctioned doesn't mean that there weren't any um, feelers being put out in this situation. I mean, I, I think we were of the opinion because similarly, um, uh, Tuchel came on and said, uh, no, I haven't had any conversation with anybody about any players. I'm, I think that was a bit of... Um, of chicanery personally I think he? he had to say that yeah the press I'm sure that they've been in contact with players I'm sure in this period they've been working things out with with who is available they obviously haven't been able to offer them contracts or money but they've just seen who would be interested in joining such an elite club I remember remember him saying at the end after we'd won the Champions League you know there are so many players now who want to join us because we're Chelsea this is always going to be the case so um it's just a question of of now they're in a position to start negotiating, knowing what money is available. And this whether this 200 million pound war chest is true, we don't know. Somebody today, it's not 200 million, it's 300 million. Actually, this, no, it's 400
0: this, million.
4: This, it, no, it's 400, it's 500 million.
1: <laughs> so but so all you know is that they've got to rebuild. They're going to get behind them to rebuild because Bowley won't want the whole thing to fall apart. He'll want to maintain the the momentum. he wants want to maintain that he is creating by coming in as the owner. <coughs> so, um, you know, it, it'll be intriguing to see who we who we actually get. But at the same time, um, uh, it, it's in Tuchel's mind as to who he feels is integral. And that is what's something we can look forward to,
0: isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Martin, um, the thing that concerns me is that you know for all the good things that have happened under Tuchel as a manager we 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 we're, we're losing one of the best elements of it which you know like it or not is Rudiger and and you know he was in, it, integral to the defense being you know so impervious um we've got an aging Kante and Jorginho and possibly a system that doesn't allow us uh, too much creativity from the midfield we've got a striker who's a dud And we don't have a creative, uh, you know, kind of somewhere who can, I mean, call it a number 10, if you like. But, you know, somebody who's more midfielder, but can go and create a Fabregas, if you like. You know, somebody who can score and lay on goals for others. So basically, Martin, we're going to enter this season without a spine unless they do anything about it. And that, I have a feeling, is going to take some money, isn't it?
3: I think so. It's not right off, I mean... I could certainly see Connor Gallagher mm. making an impact in that respect on the on the midfielder side, but let's you know I think we just need to keep an open mind. We don't know, you know, we could in a few weeks' time we could have the building blocks in place already. I mean, Rudiger going is a disappointment, but everything you said about him, you know, the defense being rock solid, he was there when we conceded four at home to fucking Brentford, so you know he wasn't he wasn't impervious and occasionally you hear that he was a bit of a dickhead who bullied youth team players. So it's, you know, it's, I'm guessing you, you get a different story depending on who you speak to. Um, yeah. Let, let's wait and see. I mean, Koundé appears to be doing a tour of the central line. So he's in London at the moment, which, you know, hint, hint. Um, we've got lone players coming back, likes of, you know, Gallagher who is a, established in the Premier League's, Plan for england so you know he he'll come back with expectation and he will expect to be involved as well so as for the striker situation i don't know i think todd needs to go around pissing on all four corners of the pitch or something do a barry fry to try and lift that striker curse we've got you know i, I don't know I, I genuinely don't know how we keep signing so many good strikers elsewhere who come to Stamford Bridge and immediately well, look like their boots are on the wrong side. Th-
0: I think that's because we don't have somebody in the midfield who can supply them, basically. We don't have them. Jorginho and Kante are not those players, you know. I think Jor- I think Jorginho can be. If
3: someone just told him to pass fucking forward, OK, well, there we go. But he doesn't. Kante's got, Kante's got bits hanging off of him. Yeah, I I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. But, um, you know, Kovacic can, you know, if Kovacic Gets a full season, we could be lethal.
0: Yeah, you know, but you know, he ain't no, he ain't no Fabregas. Um, not not many are. Well, that's very true. Like, like you know, there are not many hazards either, and that has to be said. Liam, one thing you mentioned in your excellent piece that I completely overlooked, um, which is the need to trim the wage bill because I think one of the issues that we've got, and I mean this this will perhaps have some relevance for why they need to you know make sure they they get James and and Mount to reset, you know, to to sign new contracts. We've already got clubs sniffing around, as we all know, both of them, and they're paid a lot less than the likes of the waste of space that is uh, the lump of cement, which is, of course, Lukaku. So how on earth, I mean, I, I was intrigued by what you said in your article, but how on earth are they going
4: to trim that wage bill? A huge challenge, um, because it's not, not just Chelsea. All of the Premier League clubs have found increasingly in recent years, and the pandemic has only made this worse, that it's great being the apex predator league when you're buying players from elsewhere in Europe, but when players don't work out and you're trying to sell them again, you can't sell them back to Europe because they are now out of the financial reach of these clubs. Um, So Chelsea's wage bill is almost upside down at the moment. Mount and James are probably the two best outfield players in terms of consistent production and they're two of the lower earners. And at the top of the wage bill, you've got Lukaku as the highest earner, who's been a disaster so far, terrible fit with Tuchel's system. Kante plays 50% of the games, um, although he ha- he obviously has justified that wage for most of his contract. And you've got Kepa, who's second-choice goalkeeper. Um, and, and a lot of the other forwards are very highly paid, and for one reason or another – Maybe not entirely their fault. Um, have not produced their best football at Chelsea either. So it's a it's a very difficult um, mess to untangle. I think, but that wage bill is going to need to be trimmed one way or the other if you want to add players. And you know the the number I listed was three hundred thirty three million. There's a, always a bit of a lag time when you're talking about this because that comes from Chelsea's last published accounts, which was. The, you know january of this year but covers the 21 22 season so they've added Lukaku since they've also they, they they've also lost a bit of money elsewhere and there will be money coming off the books this year with Rudiger Christensen but they didn't feel like they were properly paid so <laughs> yeah. um you're going to have to pay to replace them it's it's not it's not easy and, and and Chelsea's wage bill was probably already beyond what their sort of organic commercial match day revenue was, which is why, you know, they're they're loss making.
0: Yeah, definitely is. I mean one thing I would would say, uh Liam, which we kind of overlooked a little a few minutes ago, is, you know, we, we hear a lot about uh Bowley and his team's approach to 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 buying recruiting players. And on the one hand, the Dodgers, he just went out and splashed a huge amount of cash on some of the best players in baseball. But on the other hand It's all supposed to be this stats-based approach, very much like the FSG group and and what they're doing at Liverpool. Um, And it's, 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 I mean, I'd I'd love some clarification on this because it's kind of almost sold to us as Chelsea supporters like this would be a new thing at Chelsea, that we've never done this. But I'm not, I cannot believe that the club don't take a stats-based approach to buying players because actually most clubs do these days. I mean, am am I right here?
4: No, they do. They have... They have their in-house, they have in-house proprietary um, like analytics operation and and a a database. We did a whole piece about it on the Athletic about a year and a half ago. Um, And yeah, so it is quite sophisticated internally. They're quite well regarded for their data operation. They might not be Liverpool, but I think it comes back to what I said earlier, which is that the whole thing is not joined up. So you might have this quite good data operation pretty good data operation, you might have this, um, you know, extensive scouting network and you might have this, you know, very well-regarded dealmaker in Marina, Sky, and you, you're constantly paying top dollar for, for coaches, but are they all building towards the same thing? And if they're not, then you're probably going to get mixed results from your recruitment, regardless of whether or not you are buying um, good players because recruitment is more complicated than buying good players. It's, it's a given if you're Chelsea and you've got Chelsea's resources, you will be buying good players from other clubs because that's your position in the market. But do they, do they fit? Yeah. Do they fit the coach? Do they fit each other on the pitch? It, it's it's a more complicated equation, I think.
1: Ian, do, do you know if they've, in those vests that they wear, do they have the computer readout chips in the back of the vests in the same way they do in rugby union?
3: Yeah, GPS.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wear those.
4: Yeah, they wear those tracking vests every training session, and they get complex. That that that's part of um, it. You know, a lot of that data sort of feeds back to the the you know the the physio department, the sports science and, department. But that's
1: why occasionally somebody will come off if they're if they're not performing to their usual uh, level of performance. Is that correct? In a, in a game, are they allowed to do that?
4: Well, I think they they they're just constantly monitor monitoring the load on each player. Oh. Um, and they and they've got like bespoke training uh, regimes for every player. They'll obviously have group sessions, but around that, all of them will have individual work to do, and it's based on what those numbers feedback as.
1: Sure. I just I wondered in the game itself if they because they seem to do what? that in rugby union is they they take a player off after sixty minutes because he's not performing at the same level, and that's because the yeah. readout shown that's the case. I wonder um, if were Allowed. To I'm do not that. sure.
4: Quite possibly. I mean, you know, Tuchel has uh, he has his own analysts um, sitting watching the game from an elevated perspective, and we know when he was definitely
1: uh, right, right, right.
4: He's got be- mm. a guy called Benny, Benny Weber, Benny Weber, who came in with him, um, and it was actually at the Club World Cup when Tuchel couldn't go. He was feeding information to he Benny guy Weber, guy. who was feeding right, it right. on to the co- to the coaches on the touchline. But that wasn't that wasn't necessarily data stuff. You know, that was just a dialogue between the coach and his assistants relayed through an analyst who was also feeding it, feeding into stuff. But I'm sure, I'm sure data forms part of that equation. Some of it will probably be a judgment call from the coach on just whether the player's pants or not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> typically- Reportedly, Lukaku tied his GPS chip to the tail of his pet dog. Yeah. So.
4: Well, I was going yeah. to say,
0: Martin. I, I I always thought that the reason that they gave GPSs to footballers was a bit like the Monty Python sketch when they played the philosophers' football because some of them are a bit stupid and they wander off and get lost. So it was to make sure they could find them again. I don't know. Yeah, but if
3: they time to the dog, they're just like, "Why are you running around in a circle all yeah. the time?" <laughs>
0: because cause he's not very good, Martin. We, we've all watched him play this season.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, but I you know, like I, said, I. It's been it's not been great this season. He gets one more year, and we see where we go from there.
0: All right, fair enough. Right, we're going to have a quick break, come back in part three, and we're going to look at the off-the-pitch to-do list for Todd Bowley and his merry men. Chich JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there, and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real
1: opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper F- F-
4: FootballFanCast.com
0: F- F- Welcome back to the Chelsea FanCast. I'm Stanford Chidge. And uh, tonight we're, we're having a thoroughly good look at uh, Todd Bowley's to-do list uh, in advance of his pretty much 99% certain fact that he'll be running the club in the matter of days, if not hours. And of course, I've got Jonathan Kibb with me.
1: Great to be on the show. Thank you for having me
0: and uh, the wonderful Mr. Martin Wickham. Hello, yeah. A middlesex getting spanked by my lovely Hampshire boys.
3: Uh, cannot confirm or deny.
0: Is it the blast? Yeah. Yeah,
3: blasts. Um, you need 152 runs to win from 17 overs.
0: That's very so good.
3: Yeah, we got we got done for 163. Didn't really start well. You never know.
0: I've now got it up on my app, so I shall keep you informed of your latest trial.
3: Oh. Yeah, I've got I've got yeah. the I've got on one, one, one one. Basically, I've got the monitor, the larger monitor with the cricket score and Good the zoom man. window here. Yeah,
0: anybody would have thought you worked in IT. You got I mean, see, I need this, Martin. I need two screens, man. I'm going to go yeah. and buy another screen because I've got my bloody script up here covering. I mean, actually, now we're down to three. I'm not obscuring any of you, but anyway, enough waffle about computer screens and cricket. You haven't turned up to listen to this nonsense. Uh, we're going to carry on with the Todd Bowley to-do list. We kind of had a look at the on the pitch. Uh, requirements and uh, in, in part two now we're going to have a look at the off the pitch requirements Liam's uh, sadly no longer with us uh, on the show but uh, he, he's, we, he's not dead no, no, it's I, I <laughs> why I added on the show Martin but uh, no he's uh, his uh, you know expertise was very much required for what's happening on the pitch this should be our domain very simply um, having said that I'm going to actually ask two things um, that were very much in uh, Liam's article and not mine, which I conveniently forgot to talk about. But he, he, on his to-do list, uh, he, he said that the uh, new owners absolutely will need to, almost the first thing that they do, they will need to reassure the staff, Martin.
3: Well, yes, yeah, the same as any takeover, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, you've got to get, you know, whether it's whether it's done via a town hall or whatever, I've been in them in the past, and you need to keep people on side because... Staff, you know, it's, it's not just players on six figures a week. It's your catering staff. It's your security. It's the people who, you know, man the desk at the reception. They are earning significantly less. Some of them won't have worked since March, and um, you know, Todd, if Todd needs to speak to them it, as a you know, as a collective and just say, look, this is what's happening. Reassure anyone if there's whisperings of you know redundancies or cuts or anything like that, and just get everyone back to what I've been saying earlier. We are now a football club again, and once need you need to work in
1: the shop accordingly. Don't
3: of course, of course, of course. You know, uh, that, uh, it's exactly things like that. Then you need to, you know, it get get back to get back to being a football club. You know, you, you no longer need to worry about. You know, are you? You know, do you still have a job? Because you do. The mega store is open. You can sell a program on the Fulham Road. You can sell tickets properly again. But there's been a, there's been three months of uncertainty. So there will be need to be some, you know, soft skills or whatever they're called to reassure people. I'm sure. I'm sure he's good at that. I don't know the man personally, but he sounds like the type of in one of those um, individuals who does a rousing town hall speech, I think might well, be the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm, He took I, over the Dodgers, didn't he? So he's bound to, he's got experience of that. And I suppose that's his world. But also they'll hire top people to do that as well, won't they?
0: Well, I, I, I don't care about who they hire to do that because I think under the, I mean, I, we, I don't know. I've not been there. So I've not worked for the club and I don't know whether Bruce has, you know, spoken to the entire staff collectively and been a wonderfully warm human being. I don't know. So do you know what? I'm not going to comment on that. But what I hope, Uh, What I really hope is that in in Thomas Thomas Tuchel, in uh, Todd Bowley, we've got a very, uh, you know, empathetic or empathic, uh, warm, human, uh, good communicator who will actually, if I was the manager and if I was the owner of Chelsea Club, the minute I get in there, let's say Monday morning at nine o'clock, I'm going to be calling a meeting of all of the staff or of you know if, if it's if it's, I mean you know Christ they've got a 40,000 seater stadium they can fit all the staff in that and I will give them a bloody rousing speech and tell them that you know things are going to be okay for them that's what you do you know you don't offer will you be having uh, a word with Nike
1: as well do you think
0: uh, I'd love to see them elbow but that ain't going to happen nah. Nike st- stuck around,
3: so no, I don't think they would be elbowed. But you've listed two others who need to be fucked out forthwith.
0: Well, absolutely, bloody lootly. And I mean, that, that would be, you know, Hyundai, who apparently their contract was coming to an end ended anyway. But the odious three who can fuck the fuck off and then fuck off some more. I've got history with three, which I'll reveal in a minute. But they were utterly unsupportive and, and lily-livered. And uh, they need to be... But told- they, were ver-
3: they were virtue signalling, weren't they? Yeah that's the only way to describe yeah, it yeah
0: yeah yeah but they need to be told to fuck off immediately that's the first thing I would do if I was Bowley and actually I can see that happening because I think that Bowley I mean they'll have to be paid compensation because that'll be the letter of the contract certainly with three but um, you know my understanding with Bowley is that you know he thinks that we've undersold the club we haven't taken advantage of commercial opportunities properly et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so I would hope and imagine that he has better sponsors more lucrative sponsorship uh, lined up although you know, it took us a long time to to get three because of the exorbitant amount of money uh that we were we were asking. I mean there's another link into that, Jake. I will let you in in a sec. You know, no, be- no problem. Because um because, you know, Guy Lawrence, of course, was the man tasked to do all of that. And I suspect I don't believe him a word of that bullshit uh kind of PR guff that's come out with he's seen the writing on the wall. You know, Bowley's been consistently saying all the way along the line. You have been underperforming commercially. You are shit compared to other clubs like Man United, etc., etc., etc. I'm going to come in and change that because that's where the difference can be made. It's basically saying, Guy Lawrence, you've been shit at your job, mate. So he's jumped before he's pushed, I think.
3: Yeah, well, if, he's, if there was any writing on the wall, it would have been us writing it and he would have said, fuck off. Yeah, so it, there exactly you go.
0: That. Now, J.K., sorry, mate. I, I, I've no, no, you boy. just said exactly what I was about to say. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, no, mate. No, no, don't, don't <laughs> <laughs> minds,
1: Great minds thinking alike. It was exactly about Guy Lawrence. I think that's why he's been given the the elbow, unless he's seen the writing on the walls. No. He's saying he's he's left himself. He's
0: jumped so. before he was pushed. I think. I mean, you know, it's going to. I'm going to return to this point later on, actually, uh, rather than uh, do it now. But um, the next thing on the list, of course, is something that I've been involved with. You know, even though partially, I mean, I've been privy to what's been going on because of my involvement with the supporters trust. But, uh, you know, the trust had a lot of meetings with all of the bidders, but particularly the uh, the Bowley group. And, uh, you know, obviously laid it on thick about what they want is a more formalized uh, fan representation, for want of a better word. But uh, most people will know what it was they were asking for. Things like a golden share, a shadow board. Uh, I mean, basically for the supporters to be more directly involved in the decision-making process. And as I said in my article, not being told it as a fait accompli, which is always what's happened in the last 19 years, certainly, um, which is not good enough. Um, you know, hence the aggro you get with things like the European Super League. Um, I mean, I, you know, obviously the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, but I have no reason to to doubt that, um, you know, that the Bowley Group's kind of tacit agreement that they would actually allow this to happen um, is disingenuous, but uh, let's see. I mean, Martin, what do you think?
3: We shall see. I mean, you know, the the amount of things that you were told couldn't be done or this has already been decided, and then it found you, they found out when a bit of pressure was put on, they reverse ferreted very quickly. Um, I've got to say, I was a little bit distracted because I was going back to what you, you'd said earlier about keeping Tuchel on and let giving him the time to form a plan. So I had a quick look at the LA Dodgers' Wikipedia page. And the coach of the LA Dodgers is a chap named Dave Roberts. Dave! And he has been in charge since 2016. Oh. So if the same attitude is going to be taken for Chelsea as has been for the LA Dodgers, then that's hopefully a good signal. But I appreciate they are two completely different Hey, man, different it's a sports. different
0: ball game. Whole new ball game. Exactly that. <laughs> I mean, J.K., you know. Well, I mean, it's it, it's it's it, it. We don't know is the honest answer. But I mean, and I do hope that they'll 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 be as good as their word on a lot of this formalized fan representation stuff. I mean, how important do you think that is in terms of priorities?
1: I think it's very important. I don't think he'll want to be seen to be um, uh, um, being being um uh, opposite what he'd, he he's come across as being very accessible and very keen for the club to be run um for the transition to go smoothly and for the, the, the club to to improve under his uh, um his uh, tutelage so um uh I, I i can't see how they would they would they would go against stuff that they've discussed and also everything that's come they they've been informed it's all for the good of the uh, of the investment surely they will realise they don't want to be alienating the fan base in any way so um, I don't foresee any problems at least for 10 years until the, uh, they then decide to sell the club and put it uh, put it take it out to Manchester to make another club so we have three clubs in Manchester when the franchise changes now I'm mucking about obviously well
0: they won't be um, able to if we've got all of these things in place
1: indeed we won't we won't but they might have no they won't ever go but no so I I, I can't I can't see it being anything else but a very smooth transition. Indeed, the way things have been set up.
0: Well, I think, I think you know, I think the, the the point you're kind of making in a roundabout way is that these are going to be owners who are possibly going to be quite savvy in PR terms. And the reality is, is that if they if they renege on 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 a lot of what were you know tacit kind of agreements, they're going to shoot them in, shoot themselves in the well, foot. There'll be
1: demonstrations. We're very good at demonstrating. We are. As we've proved, we are.
3: So. It's also the fact that you know they're not buy they're not buying at a cut price to sell high they've bought high yeah they can't aff- literally cannot afford to lose money on this because yeah, so anything they do will be wanting to get their money back so they need to keep things as sweet as possible both you know fan relations everything well, because
0: i mean if they- it sorry go Martin sorry if
3: people vote with their feet it hits them in the pocket
0: well I was going to say I think talking of you know uh shooting oneself in the foot from from a bad PR point of view um I think one of the first things they've got to do and of course you and I and and Jonathan will be well aware of this is that normally by this time in the season we would have paid for our season tickets JK may well have already done so because he's got a slightly different one than us but By this time, certainly Martin and I would have paid for our season tickets. And, of course, the club haven't been able to do that. And if we find that they've whopped on a... I mean, the the reality is is that the club, had it not changed ownership, I would have been absolutely certain that we would have seen a 10% increase, if not more, uplift on season tickets this year. But if Bowley's come in now, if they put an increase on those season ticket prices, they're going to find that their honeymoon is going to be very short-lived, Martin.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. But it makes... It may be that, you know, they have to. Uh, I mean, the inflationary pressures alone could put a 10% hike on some tickets. I don't want that to happen, but it was kept down artificially for 10 years. So hopefully it doesn't come to that, but it may only be delaying inevitable pain.
0: Sorry, J.K.? I I
1: paid for my season ticket prior to sanctions, um, and it had gone up.
0: How much by, percentage-wise? Uh About a
1: sixth,
0: yeah. So about seventeen percent, yeah, yeah. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, this is. I mean, do you know what? I've got a hunch. I've got a hunch that they they won't increase season ticket prices for us lot uh, because I think they'll be savvy enough PR wise to not do that. But the real worry, and I mean, if uh, there was a wonderful article, I think it was Jonathan Lew. Whilst it was rather snidey about Chelsea.
3: Jonathan Lew is fucking snidey about every. He's Chelsea, about, every time he open yeah, every but, time he yeah, opens his mouth. Yeah,
0: but he's snidey about everybody because that's kind of his style. But he had he's there a, was there was he's some,
3: an Arsenal prick. Is yeah, what yeah. He
0: is. I don't care, Martin. Whatever he is, what he is good at is coming up with some decent facts. And some of the decent facts about the Boley Group at the Dodgers were that they have wallopingly, massively increased uh, ticket prices in the time that he's been there. And of course, that would stack up with Bowley's kind of promise, which is to give the fans you know great entertainment and winning stuff which of course is what we all want and a better better you know better package well yeah and it's going to like increase the price but, but i'm going gonna... to if he's
1: going to be put making an improvements in the ground though you could you could he could justify the the increase well
0: ticket- can he because you see <coughs> I, don't, I don't give a shit about having a padded seat or better seat i've got no, well, you and i've me got both I, i've that. got a great view i, I never no, spend indeed. a mu- i don't, never spend a penny in the club with the muck that they serve on there or the stuff <laughs> in the merchandise i go for the football jk
1: indeed indeed so you wonder whether in fact any of this this um, statements about how they would make sure that they would even within their the, the original the original selling of the club to them was they had to commit didn't they to to improving the uh the infrastructure of improving everything and rebuilding the club i'm I, I i wouldn't have thought that was a priority for any supporter i don't i they they want to see the team win on the pitch they don't really care what the surroundings are this constant thing in the press about um, um maximizing your profit and uh and how low down chelsea are we've discussed this on the the show time after time it's all about the the success on the field and the uh, the TV rights—that's where you get your money from. It's not about the extra twenty thousand a week coming to see the club. You know, I mean, just look at look at the Emirates, both lots of is and they're they're uh, they're losing money hand over fist because their teams aren't successful enough. It doesn't
0: matter how big
1: the ground is.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's, it's absolutely true, and. Uh... You know, that that for me is definitely a concern on the horizon. Martin, another another area, um, you know, which, uh, I mean, you know, we've had all of these things that the Trust have put forward in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what was happening during the bidding process, Golden Share, all the kind of FSA review, the fan-led review type stuff that we know, uh, know very well. But, of course, the Trust have been involved in trying to talk to an incredibly deaf club for many, many years. I'd say, actually, pretty much since the Trust was formed in 2012. And we have a lot of uh, motions every year, as you well know. And every year, those motions are the same. And it involves ticket allocation. It involves the, you know, VWR and what a load of old arse gravy that is. All those, you know, away season ticket uh, allocations, picking up tickets in Europe, all these kind of things that, you know, might seem like small things and may, may not have got on Bowley's radar. But believe you me, I know this because I've known you very well, I've known you for a long time. They matter hugely to supporters, particularly, you know, home and away season ticket holders, for example.
3: Yeah, you, need, you know, Todd Bowley can do, you know, three things to get a lot of us on the side. One, get rid of the fucking ex coppers working as the supporter liaisons because they are trouble. Two, get rid of Singer beer and put something drinkable in there, and they might, they may find their revenues go up because they're not being served fucking reheated piss every game and and yeah so things like the your ticket collection in europe is a ball ache because you know you're treating people like it's a school trip and we're all toddlers so yeah there's a lot of things a lot of things he's not going to know about and he may he may not consider it to fall within his purview but he needs to get people in working for him who get it who uh, who can understand and interpret what you say to them bring it back to the ownership and take from there, because there is another way to do things.
1: Martin, does he have a Twitter account?
3: I have no idea. He probably does, but it would be one of those professional ones. it so would be not run gonna, by somebody. But it'd be run, but yeah, it, yeah, but he's if not, not going to be... people said you yeah. need to
1: change the beer at Stanford Bridge, it might get through to him. Yeah,
3: yeah I, I think a taste test would do that if he's a drinker. Well,
0: true <laughs> enough. I mean, but in a sense, that's what the Trust have been bellyaching about for ages. But of course, the trouble is, is that, you know, the club, the, club, the, the, the previous regime are totally deaf to that. And I mean, mm-hmm. the, the one worry that I have is that with Bruce Buck in charge still uh, the club will remain deaf because Bruce will be saying, "Oh, you don't need to worry about that. It's been like this forever, and you know we're just not going to budge." And I and I do I do see him as a real obstacle to change and the obstacle to having a fresh look at some of these views. We shall see. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see in the fullness of time. Of course, the massive and obvious elephant in the room of all of this with the whole Bowley takeover, of course, is the. I mean, I was—I would say, you know, the the promise, and it is really—it's almost legally binding, isn't it? They have to redevelop the stadium, and uh, you know, the, from what we understand, they're going to do a a stand-by stand redevelopment. But you know, we all know because we've been so close to it for for many a year, just incredible how incredibly complex it all was for Roman and all the obstacles that he had. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, the 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 small. Uh, footprint that the uh, the area has to build a new stadium i'm thinking of the limited access or all the access and egress issues which is why we had to build over the railway line and go out the back all of those things i'm talking about you know the, the fact that we've got all these buildings around there and there's like right to light issues we've got the hotels there which are an issue because you've got tenants on assured tenancies who won't fuck off you know there are so many issues like that and then there's the the, the limit on the height of the stadium because of the bylaw saying that people who live on Richmond Hill have to be able to see St. Paul's. Mad shit like this. Now, I'm sure, you know, this guy's not an idiot. I'm sure he will know this, but he's, there's a lot to get round. And of course, the biggest obstacle in some ways, which I'm kind of glad of in a way, is, uh, is, is, is the CPO and the restrictions placed therein. But I would also say there's something else. And, and Martin, Jonathan and myself know this very, very well. When... Uh, the plans were put forward, Martin and Jonathan, um, to to rebuild the stadium, this great cathedral of football. It was going to be demolished as one, and it was going to take four to five years to rebuild it. At which, um, and we would have to play somewhere else. And the likelihood was that it would be Wembley. And I know for a fact because I obviously I'm in on, on the trust, and every every year we surveyed it. And unbelievable, I mean, almost up to 75% of season ticket holders are going to say, well, we're not going to bother. We'll call it a day if that happens, because we just don't want to go to Wembley for four or five years. So even if they do build it stand by stand, how are they going to accommodate, you know, maybe 10,000 displaced fans?
1: It'll be more than that when they do the East stand. Because the uh, the East Stand has, has got the biggest capacity, hasn't it? So um, where will they go in the in the rest of the crowd? Does it mean will there, will there be a period where there won't be any away fans? You could deal with it like oh, that. Yeah, I suppose.
0: Yes, please. That, that'd be good.
1: That'd
3: be good. We're not allowed to.
0: We're We're not no, allowed to. to. Not
3: allowed. Ironically, we missed our best chance to do a stadium rebuild, which is during the lockdown I know, period, because that's what Real Madrid did with the Bernabeu. But we'd already you know suspended the plans because Roman. Um, punished for the Salisbury Cathedral poison, mm. po- poisonings so who knows I mean I'm not I don't work in construction I don't know the intricacies of you know what needs to be done but I'm I'm sure there's a way but it has to be done with sensitivity and respect because you've got like you said with, there's residents in the area there's you know I don't know the stole mansions can you imagine the you know Chelsea kit kick war veterans out of home even if they've been rehoused
0: 50 well, that, that yards was, up that the road that was the, the plan was, it, yeah they were, Raymond it, was going to build them a whole new premises
3: yeah but that bit would get omitted it would just be Chelsea kick out war veterans oh I know, he, I know. yeah so yeah it, it's just got to be handled with care and then like you say there's the um, how you deal with the reduced capacity and moving people around I mean do you free season tickets for a period who knows I mean members there are members who aren't happy with um their allocations as it is, and that getting reduced even further would seem punitive, but we shall see.
0: It's gonna be a real issue for them. I I I really can't wait to hear what they have to say about that. Jonathan, one of the most important things they're gonna to have to do, whatever uh, you know the outcomes solutions might be, is to get the CPO on side because the biggest issue of the whole Roman idea for the redevelopment you know was the clash that he had with the CPO and of course the first thing they can do I think to to deal with that is to clear this kind of eight million quid loan that the the club has with the CPO but they've also got to get him on side as well I think anyway kind of uh, morally as well as financially.
1: Are they are they willing to to pay this uh, this sum was this always the case was this part of the uh, the deal with taking the club over is that what's negotiated by the CPO with them?
0: I know that we, as the trust and the CPO, went very heavily on that, but uh, I don't think there's any kind of agreement, tenuous or not, to do that. But I don't know because I'm not, I'm not um, Chris, the chairman um, of the CPO. So could could they not
1: force the CPO to become bankrupt if they can't? No, deal because with
0: there's it. an outstanding uh, tenancy, isn't there? It's, it's, you know, we, we've got it for 199 of course, of course, years forever. minus whatever we've had.
1: I okay, get you. Know. Sorry, you're in a so it's world le- that is like legally protected. I understand. Illegally protected. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just bemused about how they would attempt to rebuild the East stand. I'll keep going on about this because that was where, according to the original plans, that was the where the majority of the fans would be. And that's an unbelievably enormous schedule would have to be in place for that. Um, and you'd have to start doing it now because uh, the because british rail require you to to make these suggestions 3 years beforehand before these things actually take place so if they wanted to say we are now building over your land they would have to start the negotiations now so the very last thing would be the East stands so i suppose you could do it in 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 small increments around the ground and perhaps that wouldn't cause the greatest um, disruption if you were to do what was originally suggested, if they're going to be using the original plans, I was under the impression that the, those original plans might have some involvement because they're using the same architect. So perhaps he might be applying them. But once again, perhaps not.
0: Well, I mean, uh, number one, they were going to do the whole lot and that was going to be four or five years. Number two, yeah, and they were going to
1: build down, weren't they? They were going to actually build yeah. right down. And they, can, and they were going to descend it,
0: yeah, yeah, and build over the railway line and out the back, yeah. so you could get yeah. uh, egress out of there, which may well still have to be an option because you have still got the access egress issues. But the other thing is, it was an incredibly expensive, uh, over expensive legacy project. And I mean, I, I know that by the time that Roman pulled the plug, it was the cost had doubled to a billion, and I read, I think, in the Athletic that it's now more like two point three billion. So they ain't going to spend 2.3 billion on the stadium. I mean, the point I made in my article was that there was no way on God's earth that Roman was going to make a return on his investment, even if it was half a billion, because you're talking about 20,000 new seats. Okay, a lot of them are going to be corporate, but it, the math just didn't stack up. So it was it was a vanity stroke legacy project. Now, if Bowley's all about making money, I'd love to know how he's going to make the cost return on investment work. I'd Indeed. love to ask him this. Indeed. You know. Indeed. I, I, Get him on the show. Say- I will. I'll, yeah. Todd, get on the damn show, man. <laughs> anyway, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely if he did that? I mean, who knows with Todd Bowley? It's the kind of thing he might do. You know, he's very—he he strikes me as bearing very, very open and warm. And the boys who, who met him, you know, on the trust in the meeting said that he was—he was a very gregarious chap. So who knows? You can interview him, J.K. I'd love it. Tell ch- him—tell ch- him that you're a knight and a peer of the realm. He'd believe you. You know. Wear your smoking jacket.
1: I'd have to have a double barreled name, though, other than it, Howard. My middle name is Howard. S- kid Smiles. Jonathan, Jonathan Howard, kid. Howard, like kid. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Okie okay. dokie. Well, um, you know, I think that, 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 you know, he's got so much to do. It's quite frightening. Listen, when we come back, uh, as we will do in a minute, we've, we've got a couple of brilliant emails uh, to read out, both of which I think really do pick up on this, although there's a lovely special area for Jonathan to cover, all on his own some, and then we're going to wrap up the show by really looking at, you know, some of the the hopes and fears that we have for uh, the Bowley era. We'll be back in a second. Real fans, real opinions.
1: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea.
0: FootballFancast.com. Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm, of course, Stanford Chidge, and uh, I've got the lovely Jonathan Kidd with us.
1: In fact, I've decided to call myself Jonathan Spunkington Kidd from yeah, now
0: on. Yeah. Yeah, Spunky for short. Yeah, thank okay. you. Okay. Martin's looking perplexed at that. Martin Wickham, that we have sound, Martin Wickham in the house too.
3: That sounds like it could get you arrested.
0: Most That's of the things name. we do on this show do, Martin. Have you not realised that yet?
3: I was wondering what that knock on the door was. Yeah, yeah, That's
0: why I'm <laughs> up in the loft, you see, because I've got, you know, it's like if you ever seen that. Was a film, I think it was a film called Conspiracy Theory, wasn't it? Where you had you have all sorts of like little kind of exits. I've got them all worked out, and of course, when I leave the building, everything blows up, so I'll be safe. Um, I've got a very fucked up mind, I think. Anyway, but, but apart from all of that, um, what I can say is, Jonathan, is that thankfully our listeners don't. And they actually can always be relied upon to send in super emails. And one thing I would say is that the two people who have sent emails in tonight, I mean, they they could not have known that we were going to do a show tonight. And they could have probably forgotten that we were going to do the uh, season review on Monday when I won't be reading emails out. And yet they sent them in anyway. And it's kind of why I love them. And the first one is from Noah Bader.
1: We're going to be reading them. I mean, that's just, you know, almost prescient. It's almost alien, isn't it? It's almost from a... Another space-time continuum. Anyway, um, is he related to Douglas Bader?
0: I have no idea. We should ask him.
3: Well, what on the basis, it's Bader and not Bader, I don't think so. There
0: no,
1: no, he's written as, he's written as Noah, Be- Noah Bader, B-A-D-E-R at the end. You oh, has he?
0: So I've got, oh. I've got it wrong. Oh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Hell, I didn't read through. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway
0: all I can say to that is those fuckers were Schmitz.
1: good anyway esteemed podcast hosts and guests hope we're all in good health and spirits amidst all of the craziness going on in the world i live just north of denver colorado and as i sit composing this email i'm both gladdened by the fact that our season has finally stumbled to an end and i'm excited to see what this summer has in store for chelsea in the new bowley era era I'm sorry. I've listened to the show for roughly five years now. Oh, you poor man. And I cannot thank you enough for all the laughs, rants and free psychological care that you all constantly provide. We should be charging to This show has helped me maintain some shred of sanity across the last two years since COVID has changed all of our lives. There are times where I have to pause the podcast due to my outbursts of laughter. And don't we just need more of that in the world? Woo-hoo! Yes. As an American, it's a miracle that I ever found Chelsea. As a 17 year old, I had to give up American football after I got my third concussion in as many years. I started spending more time with some of my friends who played soccer at the time. And as a result, I started playing FIFA. There was one team I kept going back to because of their beautiful blue uniforms. It's exactly why I started supporting them. They're not uniforms, it's kit. Oh, there it is later. And their striker, who always seemed to be able to find the back of the net. I bought a Drogba kit, perfect, online. I haven't looked back since. One of the reasons, by the way, that Drogba wasn't my favourite player was because he had a season when he downed tools Chidge. Do you remember that under Sarri? under um, under Scolari. Anyway, the Roman Empire, trademark, is all I've ever known of Chelsea, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't excited to see what Boley and Co can bring to the club. Perhaps if TT is given the time and resources needed to mould the team to his preferred style, we can have a similar revival to what City and Livar pool have seen. Get it, VAR, is he clever? Only Chelsea would talk of revival when finishing third in the league, although the cavernous gap between us and the top two perhaps justifies that feeling. I wrote him because I was wondering if JK and the rest of the gang could take a few minutes to talk about how we could work to fix modern refereeing. It seems that a generous amount of time is spent each week discussing (laughs) possibly too much yes but it's true spineless linesmen out of shape referees and asinine battles of ego between the var and on-pitch officials but to what effect it's true are other supporters groups similarly frustrated if so why not band together and try to affect real change to the system what could that look like and what would it really take for positive change to be made I was also hoping that J.K. could opine one last time on the beauty, nay, the magnificence that is Marcos's hair. Oh, Marcos. I will sorely miss seeing those luscious locks every weekend when he runs down the wing for me. I'll just put that in there. He didn't say that. If he does, indeed, leave the club. He is a true blue, and I think we, we would have one or two more trophies in the cabinet if we would have just played the Number 9. Over the last few years, sorry, Tammy and Romelu, thank you again for all that you do up the Chels. Noah Bader or Bada, um, he does indeed, Marcus, have a fine left foot and the hair. Oh my God! Um, as regards the refing, it's a very good point. I actually follow several um, referees' support groups on uh, on Twitter just to see what they talk about, and they are unbelievably aggressive about the criticism. And I think this is, the, this is the problem is I think they all, they all join forces to become a very um, uh, protected, self-protected, uh, even um, prickly lot when there is criticism. And they go on about what a great job they're doing and how difficult it is to ref. And it seems very, very, it is it, it, it's difficult in our point of view to get through to them to say, um what is actually what we perceive is going on because I, I personally don't know any referee that i've spoken to or any referees this chap who was working for me was doing some building work was an assessor and he 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 just chuckled at me all the time everything i said he went no oh no, no you don't understand no 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 it doesn't work like that they have they have official views on things that Um, Our perception of what we we see going on is all about them saying, well, you never refereed properly. No, you don't understand how difficult it is, rather than actually looking at the the whole process whereby um, referees become referees and who is attracted to being a referee. And I think it's that sociological aspect of it that needs to be approached. The sort of person that ends up as a referee um, enjoys the power, enjoys that they are being deferred to. And um and unfortunately, I I am not convinced that you'll ever be able to, to uh interrupt that process. Um in rugby, it works terribly well. It's a different kind of person who becomes a rugby referee, different kind of person, and all the linesmen have the same have the same level. They're not they're not lower individuals in the pecking order, which they clearly are um, in in, in in football matches, despite them saying, no, 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 we're all, assi- they're assistant referees, we're refs, we're all on the same level. They're not, there is a, there is a definite um, pecking order in that setup. So uh, I'm, I would agree, perhaps we deep do need to get together in some way, but I don't know what, what, uh, I, I just feel we'd be, we'd be shouted down and informed that we really didn't know what we were talking about because we're not there within their system. So uh, I'd love to have a go. Um, and I don't know what I, I, I think you'd need some some official ex-official and not a football, not even a player, because they're always going on about how players never want to be a, uh, want to be referees. And they're slightly snooty about the whole process. You need a, a, a referee to like your ideas and to then represent you. I think somebody who's been one of them who agrees with the the I mean, particular my my assessment of it. I actually haven't met anybody who has my overall view of what goes on uh, in exactly the same way about this deference of the, of the linesman to the referee, which is from my own experience as a ref. So uh, it, it would be a very hard, a hard ask. So, uh, but it's something that perhaps we could, we could just put our toes in the water to see if there are other people who would like to, to, I don't know what you do, get a document together, get a group together. Um, but it's something to consider. I mean, I, I actually think ultimately they should be, um, uh, they should be forced, not even forced. They should. It should be their 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 prerogative to to. They they, they should be this part of the setup. Is they should be um they should be speaking to uh, the press and to the 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 um, media after games about why they made certain decisions. And so they become a part of the whole process. And the same way that VAR should be worked out, so that that time that they spend standing there holding their ears and doing nothing should actually be 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 changed so we hear the process that's going on it becomes slightly masonic the fact that we don't hear any of that whereas in once again in rugby union the process is there for us all to hear the conversations are all being had with with the the, the fourth official who is the, the TV official who is telling you what went on. And that's what makes it much more interesting in rugby union. So they, there are th- lots of things that they're missing out on as a consequence of making it all, as I say, slightly Masonic and mysterious. And we don't really want to tell you what we're deciding, which I similarly I think it's, is from a different era and they need to get their act together. Anyway, I've uh, said my bit,
0: change Okay, Martin, you got anything to add? How the fuck do I follow that? Well, you can't. I I say this, I say this on every show, Martin. But we somehow find a way.
3: I, I agree with the accountability issue. There's just no, you know, decisions made. They start waving people away, telling players to go away when they query them. Um, Let's let's have some accountability because I'm not quite on the whole, you know, PGMOl or a cabal thing, but there are definitely some inexplicable decisions made and there's not that much consistency. VAR itself has um, flagged up some inconsistencies and applications of the rules that are questionable. So let's get that corrected. But as has been said, they get as a collective, they get defensive when queried. I wouldn't apply. I'd say at the top level, they get hyper defensive a little bit, you know, towards the grassroots is probably more, you know, you know, referees getting physically attacked that they're worried yeah. about and yeah. verbally abused from the sidelines where, you know, someone at an under-14 game is yelling swear words at the referee from the sidelines, which is totally unacceptable. But you've got to differentiate between that and the top level where the, you know, refs are a little bit more insulated and protected from that. They may have got it on the way up, coming from the grassroots. But, um, yeah, I think I think there's, there's two... They're almost like two distinct groups, and as a warning, as I've heard, I've been told that the referees are worse in the Nas- in the Football League and National League. So be careful what you wish for. Getting rid of all of the current ones we have in the Premier League, mm. if that's the cream of the crop, it's curdled. I
0: mean, you know, I I think I think one of the problems we've got with the referees, you know, I know we talk about their arrogance a lot. Um well, they've they've been made into celebrities,
3: well, it's yeah, faintly well, nauseated. Yeah,
0: I know, and that's TV, isn't it? And they're gonna play up to that. I think the bigger problem is not necessarily the arrogance, it's the confirmation bias, because I think they they live in a in a bubble exclu- excluding everything else, like common sense. I, I've always felt this. I think the, the, the biggest impediment to good refereeing is the fact that we don't have enough former players as referees. We seem to have a whole litany of fucking policemen and teachers who are the worst people to have in charge of anything. Uh, we don't have you know former players you know players who might have been injured early uh, and i mean players who've played at the top level as well actually you know because they understand the game and the number of times we all say if he had played the game he would have understood that that was a fair tackle or whatever um just i mean you can in fact every time i said that i'd be you know if i had a pound for it, i'd be rich so i think there's there needs to be some way that they can try and make that happen jk i mean as a as somebody who's qualified as a ref what would you say about that
1: I think what well, the there's a route that they take, isn't there, Tudj, which in some instances some of the refs themselves don't play football; they just observe. Some of them have been refing since they were little. Um, but yes, uh, uh, there must be a reason, though, why players don't become refs.
0: Well, the,
3: can't be just the they, money because they don't need the abuse they've been yeah. giving out for the years yeah, previous maybe.
0: i don't know it'd be, be it'd be interesting to ask a few ex-players sometime i think i might do that um great email though uh, noah thank you for writing in we've got one from keith burton here who says hi chidge jk and the crew i'm a long time chelsea fan since childhood i grew up uh, just outside oakley village which as you know is peter houseman country keith i'm Absolutely certain I remember you writing in a lovely email. JK might remember this, where you outlined how you got to know Peter or you were involved uh, after his death and setting up a league or something. Um, My memory's not what it was, but I certainly remember something like that. So thanks for writing in again. Uh, Anyway, he lived here whilst playing for Chelsea. The local football club... There we go, and I hadn't read that. The local football club he and his wife started here and the Youth Football League are both still going strong. This is one corner of Hampshire is forever blue and of course Oakley is a fantastic village Keith so if you live there you're a lucky or you grew up there you're a lucky man. Uh, As well as being a lifelong Chelsea fan I also watch a lot and I mean a lot of MLB baseball and NFL American football. I wanted to share with you my perspective on Todd Bowley's ownership of our club and why I think it will be hugely successful. The structure of the NFL american football is very very different to association football not better or worse just different there's no real pyramid structure and teams recruit new young talent directly from college the game also exploded in in popularity during the late 50s due in part to television and the booming u.s middle class that means many of the stadiums are in the suburbs or outside cities and were always conceived as multi-purpose arenas that can be knocked down or moved around as needed conversely baseball shares far more in common with our football Both sports became popular during the last quarter of the 19th century. Like association football, baseball ended up building stadiums in towns and cities. Just like our football, these baseball stadiums are odd sizes and shapes and were often crammed into built-up areas or commercial districts. Baseball also has a pyramid structure, with players working their way up through lower-level teams to major leagues. As such, baseball owners are renowned for their attention to a player's performance statistics before bringing them into their team. Apologies for the history lesson. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that whilst NFL, American football and Major League Baseball are both great sports, the owners of baseball teams are far better equipped to appreciate the challenges of running a football team like Chelsea. uh, Sorry, a football team like Chelsea. If you compare how well FSG have run Liverpool to how poorly United and Arsenal are run by their NFL owners, you'll see what I mean. Best Keith. Well, there we go. That's an interesting point, one I hadn't considered. And I know you're an NFL fan, Martin. So what do you think of that?
3: He's absolutely spot on. I think I alluded to it last week. It's the, it's called a farm system, baseball teams. So there'll be, the, there'll be the LA Dodgers and there'll be a litany of teams underneath affiliated with the LA Dodgers that play at different levels of professional play. And, you know, a player, so to the difference is that NFL draft, if you're the number one pick in the NFL draft, nine times out of 10, you are going to be starting in that NFL team the next season. My um, NFL team is the Cincinnati Bengals. They drafted uh, number one pick at quarterback, and then the next year, number two at wide receiver, um, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. They both feet both were basically starters in a team that reached the Super Bowl this year. Um, in a draft for baseball, your number one pick may take years to get to the top level, MLB, the major leagues. So. Um, in that respect, um, the academy structure Chelsea has won't be alien to Todd Bowley. He will know about it from the Dodgers um, and he will want to use it. So if you're good enough, you will, you will have a chance because he will, if he brings players through accordingly, it will allow him to consolidate money and spend it on, you know, big ticket players. But um, while bringing through... Um, players from the academy when they're ready. So yeah, I think that's an absolutely um absolutely spot on to be honest with you.
0: Well, there you go. JK, anything to say on that?
4: Uh
1: no, no I, I, it, it makes great sense. I mean, I knew the the aspect of NFL, the NFL just being that they gave the uh the, the better players to the worst teams just to try and even it all up, but um uh, and i've seen enough baseball films to know that you can play little league stuff and then uh, be be scouted uh, in the same way you can be scouted into into playing football um uh, i mean it's funny if you talks about being some of the football pictures being crammed into built up areas in fact freq- frequently um, when the when the grounds were built it wasn't a built up area at all it was a bit of green belt just as at the the attraction of the football club has meant that the town has been built around it and it's been grown up. But, but you're right. A large numbers of them were crammed into local areas or they were just, when they started, they were just, they were little pitches. They were little bits of green and uh, slowly, but surely stands got built around them and they became these um, uh, as, as the leagues were organized, uh, they realized they wanted to make money out of them. So they, they, they built they built um an infrastructure that allowed people to come and watch and uh, i think luton is a wonderful example of that it's absolutely right in the middle of everything and it's just it's small alleyways and and titchy little stands built right if, of... if you
3: if you get the right, the right back garden you've got a front row seat <laughs> yes you do
0: i think yeah, yeah. i think uh, you know keith makes an excellent point there <clears throat> kind of you know comparing baseball and uh and uh and football uh and yeah yeah and, he does, and, well, and, and yeah. the point that he makes about american football being basically for the suburban uh you know middle class and i think i think i think baseball from my you know small knowledge of it like football is ostensibly a working class game it's a blue collar game in the states uh as it as it was here and of course you know over here as we know the reason why football stadiums are built where they are is because they were built in the community. And that's why, you know, I've always felt that that's the strongest thing about football in this country is that, you know, football clubs are part of the community. They grew out of the community and there's that, uh, you know, unbreakable bond between the two. And if anybody fucks with that, they'll have, have my boot up their arse because I think it's massively important. Well, the New, York, just...
3: the New York Yankees are still in the Bronx to this yeah, day. And exactly. I went to the stadium a few years back and even though it's it's been they've rebuilt their stadium but it was literally across the road and it's still very much of its area
0: yeah 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 the
1: Cubs and as I well. think it's a, it's a it's a cost thing as well I think that um, you could just go and play uh, baseball was just with a bat and a ball anywhere essentially yeah um, and that's all you need. And whereas as, as NFL has gone and you just need more and more kits to
3: replicate wow. it, it's a, a much more
0: ironically, JK, yeah. you know, for, for baseball read football, for American football read cricket.
3: Yeah, well, as the Noah you know alluded to, he suffered three concussions playing American football before he'd
0: hit the age of eighteen. Yeah. So the danger is much higher as well. So yeah, interesting stuff. All right, we're going to. We've great emails, people. You know the rules. I mean, send them in anyway, even if it's in the summer, but you can do that by sending them to chelseafancast at gmail.com or just tweet us at chelseafancast, Facebook message us on the, on the Facebook page group at chelseafancast, Instagram at chelseafancast. If you're a member of Patreon or on the Discord group, then you can send them there and we'll do our best to read them out over the summer. I promise, uh, because we are going to try and carry on. If we think that there's some interesting news that's occurred in the chelsea world then we will do a do a preview show of a friday night and hopefully still get one of our journalist buddies to come on as well Uh, now we're going to wrap up the show by by just kind of putting a line under what we've been discussing about ted bowley's takeover of chelsea really our kind of hopes and fears and the first question really uh jk is and i know this is impossible in some respects but how do we see it going and what do you think the barometer for success will be
1: Uh, It would be easy to sit back and say uh, and make excuses if the season doesn't go well, but his aim is to carry on with making us an even more, well, his aim is to carry on with us being an elite club, one of the most famous clubs in the world and one of the best clubs in the world as we are, and I think he'll be disappointed if we don't... um, challenge for silverware again next season and possibly even improve on this season. I think that's his aim. And yet he's a pragmatist, I'm sure. And he'll accept the fact that it might be uh, um, with all the, the, the changes that need to be made, the rebuild that needs to be made, that he will, um, uh, he'll oversee uh, um, not as quite as an achieving season as there, uh, as there was this season, because we achieved a lot, despite not coming away with the two, the two cups. Uh, it was still pretty good to have got to two finals and we were champions of the world and um, uh, and club champions as well. So, um, But, I, you know, I think that we, we still, all of us, feel an, an element that the season was disappointing um, just because of the way that they, they gave too many games away becoming draws. So um, I think he will look for improvement and the sooner the better. And uh, I don't see why... Um, that shouldn't be achieved, uh, if he, uh, once again, it's down to, will he, you know, are they going to allow him, is this 200 200 million treasure chest the truth, or is it somebody just making it up, we don't know, but all we know is they will have to buy some players, because the others are out of contract, Um, will he buy a striker, will he sell, It'll, it'll all be down initially to what purchases but even then I, I I'm changing my mind here massively um he's a wonderful manager he can work with the base metal and turn it into gold as we've seen um and it might be that some of the low knees, um Colwell comes back and plays um perhaps he he's an answer uh there are lots of ifs and lots of buts um uh i mean my my the big positive for me is the club um is still in existence because there was a possibility of it not happening. Uh, And um, they want to maintain the club as the elite club that it is. So uh, I think we're going to win
0: a
3: trophy next season.
0: Mm, Okay, good answer, JK. Martin, what about you, mate?
3: It's the $4 billion question, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I think there may be a few little teething troubles, but ultimately it depends on you know how the summer goes. We just want to, I'd like to just see a clear vision laid out and you know applied as consistently as possible. Um, I think we're, we were doing this show on the you know the, the hope we could do the breaking news and have it announced midway through, didn't we? So, um, yeah, it'd be just be nice to get it out, get it done. Get I've kept saying this, but I'll keep, but I'll do it once more. Back to being a football club again. Um, he's not going to. It would be fucking stupid to do a glazers on it or a Stan Kroenke because he's whacked out loads of money on it. So he wants to get his, he want to get that back and he want to get it back as, you know, a symbol of excellence in the field. So, you know, we're a, a long way off city and Liverpool at the moment, but I'm optimistic that with the, with the correct approach, with everyone, everyone pulling the same way that we can make up ground there. And if, you know, Man City and Liverpool can't keep having 90-point seasons between them every year. They've been amazing what they've done, but there has to be a point where it stops. Man City have actually aged on the quiet. No one's alluded to that. Kevin De Bruyne is 31 years of age. It's not, you know, Pep has, you know, gone twice as long in this job as he has in others. The burnout could happen. Klopp may decide to take a break. It's, it's not, in the same way, it was never going to be written in stone that us and Man United would dominate every year for eternity. The same applies to City and Liverpool. So we need to get our house in order, do the things we need to do and get back because I'm. we've certainly got the right manager in charge. When he gets the chance to properly apply his own imprint, who knows what could happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, picking up from from what you both said, the reality is we don't know how it's going to go. I mean, it might take six months, a year, two years. We don't know. My suspicion is it will take time uh, to see what the Boley era is going to bring. I mean, I, I'm very encouraged by one thing, and that's that, you know, yes. Bowley's consistently said that he sees uh, – and, you know, let's let's not delude ourselves here. You know, this is a bunch of people who are people who are putting in a massive investment to a club for one reason – It's not for shits and giggles. It's to make a return on that investment. That means making money. So that's the bottom line. But Bowley reckons the best way to make money is to have success on the pitch, and I actually have him right with that. So he will want, nay, demand success on the pitch because that's the fundamental ingredient to having success on the balance sheet. But I do do think and I do hope that unlike the previous incumbent – where it was like basically playing with his own personal train set, that they these are, these guys are businessmen and businessmen make plans. Businessmen make plans for the short, the medium and the long term. And they factor in these sort of things. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of change at the club and he'll know that. And, and we, he'll also know that we are way behind City and Liverpool in terms of what we're doing on the pitch. And there needs to be some sort of a... Uh, A a closing of that gap he'll also know that they have more money than us and, and he'll take that into consideration I'm also encouraged by one of the things that I read about Bowley where he said that one of the reasons he loves football is that there are no guarantees you know you can invest all the money in the world and then because of some error from a dickhead striker or a referee or VAR or like we saw with the two cup finals this year you know it could just go the other guys way on the day with the slightest of margins and I think he gets that uh, which I find encouraging, you know, whereas, you know, you get a kind of sense that with Roman, failure was not an option, which I think was quite short-sighted in the in in, in the in the round, as we see now. Um, I mean, basically what I hope is that the, the, the Boley and the Boley group will, as I said, they'll, they'll sign up Tuchel to a long-term plan. They'll look to what the FSG group have done with Liverpool, and they will be patient and they will recognise that, you know, basically Tuchel needs to completely change the side over the next few years to one of his own liking and image Uh, and and they'll just be patient with it and I think actually that patience needs to be seen from us as supporters too because of course so many of us even us lot who should know better you know we've been sucked into the whole Roman way of doing things which is if you don't win a trophy we all have a meltdown you know well we're going to be in a different era now in a different way and and I think we'll need to be patient too Martin.
3: Yeah we there will need to be a lot of um unlearning and deprogramming done by all of us. I include myself in yeah, that. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, we cannot, you know, expect that Bowley will have the same caprices as Roman. He won't fly off the handle at, you know, the merest setback or finishing second in the league. Some of Roman's more outlandish decisions. I think there will be a, um, a more process-driven way of running things so limit those who you know if there's a few sticky results and people start demanding sackings and birchings and public executions don't think that's going to happen anymore
0: well let's hope so um I, I, i'm going to start off with you on this one martin and then and then finish up with what jk thinks but you know given what i've said about uh the balance now between you know success uh and success not being uh determined by you know, a rich owner being able to put his hand in his pocket when it goes pear-shaped or because he fancies it. You know, success is now going to have to be earned and earned within a budget. Uh, and we know what that will mean with an American owner who will be aggressively commercial. Um, you know, do we have, as a club and as a supporters, do we have to sell our soul for, for that success? And what, for you, are the red lines on that? Well, how
3: you define selling your soul? There'll be plenty who would argue that, as supporters we already have even though we have no choice in the matter of who the owner is I think that's a load of bullshit Um, you know I I don't want to see us promoting NFTs or the likes of DraftKings or all those weird fantasy team type things he has investments in I want to see us you know blue chip sponsors I want you know (laughs) yeah I you know, I don't. Yeah, I find it. I think the the train may have left the station on selling your soul. The only the red line I would that I would consider is um, an attempt to buy the freehold from CPO. It's, that's an absolute fucking no-no from me. Mm,
0: definitely, really good answer, Martin. JK, what about you, mate? Uh,
1: I... <sighs> it's it's sort of madly predicting the future isn't it all of this making these these uh, suggestions as of what they what you don't want them to do is to renege on their their decision to um uh in, invest in the club and rather than just in, invest for themselves and just do what the glazers have done that would be something dreadful and but i think that's been that was part of the um the rain group's remit was to make sure that the that roman made sure that that would never take place um when he when he advised them in the first place as to what would what was required from the the purchasers um uh i i suppose one could one could hope there wasn't a huge amount of american advertising but i would be quite happy with uh, with any kind of advertising
3: that is, um... I'll be sorry, Jonathan. To cut, uh, I cut over yep. you there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind American advertising if it gets rid of that those random Chinese websites that have been appearing <laughs> on the advertising boardings <laughs> at Stanford Bridge for the last year or so. Um, I don't know what the hell they're about, but I can't imagine it being much good. I certainly wouldn't be going on there on my laptop because it'd probably stick all sorts of fucking spyware on it. Yeah, they
1: weren't sponsored by them, whether they were just. I mean, it, it, they were still around. selling.
3: They were still selling advertising. You know, yeah, they I, are I want, selling advertising. I, I want to see. I want to see firms I know advertising at Chelsea. Not, but I think this r- is what he's stated, isn't he stated. Yeah. Isn't
1: this what he stated? He's actually said that he thinks he can improve on the sponsorship. Um. Uh. uh so yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I can't really give a very good answer to this. I'm afraid, Chidge. I don't really know what. Um. um What what would a new American owner do? What would a new owner do? We're in a different world now. We're in a we're in a world of uh, um, well, as as long as he, if they're trying to make profits on on things, but I wouldn't let's let's not be surprised if um, they don't buy a large number of players this season. Um, Let's not um, that you know that's a that's not a red line. That's something I would almost expect. I think he can they may buy a couple of players and and we may be left with with a squad that is very similar to the one we've had this season. I I think we should be prepared for that. Um I don't think there's going to be an enormous um change. Though apparently though when he first came and bought the Dodgers, he he there was some big marquee signings. So once again, you know, I I'm I would I'm I'm, I'm open to everything and not sure what on earth is going to happen I just don't think I think they're going to run the club um, excellently because as you say they're after making money and uh, um, we may have to take the brunt of that as we've discussed it may be that um, uh, uh, seat prices go up hugely but uh, and it's it's going to be intriguing to see how they attempt to refurbish the ground and and still make a profit I, I i even despite that having been part of the the price and the agreement with the contract that they would do this i i it, it seems to be completely um uh unless they, they built a stand like fulham did initially which shakes every time you you step you stamp on it um but that was supposed to be temporary whether well, temporary stands are part of the the setup until the uh
3: they, they've um, built a. They've built a stand over a river recently. It looks rather impressive. So yeah, yeah it's very know. impressive. It's not a huge number of seats, though. I'm taking a back. Right? As long as it keeps the fucking breeze out, we go. Down Indeed, it, it does see. do. It does because <laughs> do, in both I've, corners, both yeah, corners we, they've
1: filled it in. It does. Yeah, much, we we, much ta- ta- we to, cold,
3: Yeah, though. we talk about all these northern ways and how cold Bernie yeah. was. I mean, he froze to death at Fulham for fuck's sake. Totally right.
0: One of the coldest grounds I've been to in the past. Um, I mean, look, you know, from my own point of view. Um, I I kind of agree with what you were saying, Martin. I think, you know, all of us as football supporters sold our soul a long time ago. Uh, Certainly, you know, certainly when Roman bought the club, I think you could say that. We certainly lost any... I mean, we didn't have much control when Bates was there, to be honest, but I think we certainly lost any semblance of that when Roman was in charge. Um, So, yeah, we've sold our soul. I mean, what I would say, do we have to sell our soul for it? I I I think we have to accept in the modern world of football that somebody somewhere has to pay for this. And if you're going to pay for this you know with somebody who is not going to put their money you know their hand in their back pocket to pay for it, then the only other way to finance is it is a well run business global brand with a very astute commercial plan um in terms of what my red lines are, well, I mean, the only thing I insist on, and I'll say this very selfishly as somebody who's in their fifties who's been going for a long time and who's a season ticket holder is I think that you know the views and the culture of people like me is respected that doesn't mean they can't go and market everything they want to everybody else which of course this club has also done but you know I think I think our culture has to be respected because that is the heart of the club whether people like it or not Um, but actually that's the beautiful thing you know what the supporters trust has been trying to do is to make sure that that is protected uh, because the heritage and the legacy of that is very important to the club and I totally agree with Martin the absolute fundamental red line uh, which protects the club and always has done against nefarious owners fucking it up is the is the Chelsea pitch owners which protects the name of the club and of course the stadium so you know if they screw with that then they'll be in big trouble from from my perspective but I do think we have to accept an element of allowing them to to market the club as they wish but don't don't patronize us i mean some of the things that chelsea've done you know recently some god awful idiot slogans in the ground like expect thrilling fuck off with that shit you know you can have that on your bloody platforms and channels all the way around but not in the game not in the stadium where it matters what you want to see in the stadium is you want to see what you you do actually see a lot of great banners all around the stadium from all sorts of supporters clubs in the world which i think is fantastic and you get the crowd surfing banners from dj and we are the shed and all that kind of thing and the stuff that jonathan and i've been involved with with the dave banner and the, the kerry banner that's what you want fuck off with your stupid you know ridiculous marketing slogans that that just are laughable for anybody who's been going for the length of time. But I think I think there'll be a good balance. I think that the Supporters Trust are doing and will do a good job in protecting those kind of cultural issues and let the club get on with the other stuff because, as we've all been saying, that ship sailed a long time ago and somebody's got to pay for it and if that's how it pays for our success, then maybe that's what we have to accept. So, unless either of you want to come back on my missive there?
3: No, pretty much in agreement with all of that. Yeah, um there you go. Yeah I'd like it was to very well said
0: Judge. Yeah. thank you both. thank you both. it's a first time for everything. Um right that's it for us uh, this Friday. Uh Martin, absolutely brilliant to see you. Well done for kind of stepping up at the last minute because I hadn't really kind of decided we were going to do a show until about you know eight o'clock last night. I think, yeah. I think we all stepped up at the last minute we did, for didn't this one. Yeah we, didn't didn't we? did. Yeah. yeah. Always good to see you mate as you well know. Uh, J- JK, I mean all I can see of you is your forehead at the moment. <laughs> Hello. Fancy seeing you. Hello. Good to see you, mate, as always. Thank you. Good stuff.
1: Nice to be on the show. Good stuff. Enjoyable.
0: Indeed. Now, enjoy the weekend without football. And and as for you lot, I mean, as always, thank you for listening, particularly the people who have been in Mixler tonight. I'm sorry, it's been... I've had to concentrate doing this show, so I've not been as... uh, attentive to your needs as i would normally but i am aware that you're there and i've been flicking through your comments which have been brilliant as always uh right we'll be back on monday uh for the main chelsea fancast show with jk me and as many of the fancast mob as we can drag out of the pubs for our season review show which is actually always great fun to do um that will be kicking off at 7 p.m so don't miss that um yeah i mean if you, martin i haven't had your form back yet or you jk i
3: Yep, that has been remiss of me. I'll need to do it, but I am slightly head in hands when I look back at the predictions I sent through. I colossally fucked up on the relegation one. That's all I'm prepared to divulge at the moment.
0: (laughs) Well, the actual one for the review bit of the show, it takes less than five minutes. I know this because I've done mine and it was less than five minutes. Uh, JK, I need yours too.
1: Um, I need to print it out and write it out and then scan it back in and I'm not um, next to the printer
0: you know what if you stay on for a few minutes i will go through it with you and you can have you can avoid doing all of that
1: no 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 i need to spend ages all right. thinking okay
0: okay fair enough
1: thank you thank you and also can you, can i stay on anyway to briefly see if i can make zoom yeah work, yeah of course you can of course you can thank you
0: there we go brilliant fun tonight chaps well done to liam earlier too for being brilliant i mean his uh analysis of course is second to none it's always great to have him on the show right uh you lot out there thank you for listening see you next week uh, until then keep it blue keep it carefree and keep it chel's up the
4: up
0: chills. The chills. it's the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your mcnuggets share boxes ready to go